0: This week first brings us to Fort Worth, where a young mother is murdered, and for almost 40 years, her family has doubts on who the killer may be. We then journey to Corsicana, where a fire claims three innocent lives, but the convicted killer raises a lot of questions. Welcome to episode 43 of Texas 10.
1: thought process sometimes it's just so ignorant i just i don't even i don't even know i talk out loud you know what i mean like you go to say something that you're thinking and then you're just like just kidding yeah my this whole podcast all set all set okay engines are ready hey everyone this is cassie and hannah this is texas 1031 and this is a texas true crime podcast and this is also our christmas themed episode Uh, (laughs) last episode of 2018 and uh, i'm first yeah yes you are cool yep
0: because we don't have anything because we uh didn't have time yeah we just recorded last week so you guys are lucky this is your christmas present from us not having to wait a month (laughs) yeah i was gonna
1: say all right so yeah cool these are the last year we did christmas christmas themed episode where we had cases that were in or around christmas time and vibes and stuff so we're gonna do the same thing yeah um so like cassie said mine is in fort worth there's a couple like it's a city like a smidge south of fort worth where this kind of all takes place in as well um so my case this week i kind of miraculously found on my like first search of like christmas murder and i looked out because even though we kind of like to talk about you know the less covered, lesser known, whatever you want to call it, overlooked stuff. Um, I did find a podcast that actually uh, had already covered it. And so lucky. That's where I got, yeah, the majority of my information from. And the host of the show is actually, she's a journalist for the uh, Star Telegram in Fort Worth. Oh. Um, so I try to, like, look up social media on it, and she has nothing. It's literally just, here's the podcast, fuck off. And she puts out something, like, once a month, like a big story once a month. And, like... She interviews the people, like the audio is like her interviewing these people and it's really well done and she's kind of a badass. So. Oh my
0: God. Can we like cross pod with her? No, she's
1: way too cool. No. I
0: know. That's so cool. But I use, I have used Star Telegram yeah. for almost, fuck, oh God, every North Texas. She's
1: really everything. cool. She has like a cute little Southern accent. Uh, it's called Out of the Cold, by the way, if you guys want to go listen to it. I listened cool. to a couple of other episodes that she did all really good so um i think she's only been doing it for like a year-ish but uh yeah really good stuff anyway um yeah she interviews the people yada yada so it's good content um but this is mainly just about one murder on christmas day but we will really dive into the family members kind of the history of them the suspects and uh possibly another crime or two as well um, but there are, like I said, a lot of people, a lot of cities, a lot of moving. So just get a notepad, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Not do like there. I do.
0: Scribble yeah. stuff down and then draw arrows when you yeah. uh start connecting <laughs> shit together and then
1: find out you're wrong, totally wrong at the end. It's okay. This one's pretty straightforward. So um so picture it, Fort Worth, Texas. This is in the late nineteen seventies where we'll start. The murder will take place in nineteen eighty. Um, But this is the unsolved murder of Cheryl Springfield. So Cheryl was originally born in Breckenridge, which is a little west of Fort Worth, and she has one older sister, Jan, who was around two years older than her, or is around two years older than her. Um, They were both raised by their single mom, Pat. Um, Their father really wasn't in the picture, so forget him. So you got Jan and Pat so far. The uh the family would move to the south side of Fort Worth when the girls were in elementary school. They were like 5 and 7, I think I remember her saying. Um but by middle school they would move yet again to a small town called Crowley. Uh Jan and Cheryl really weren't very close growing up. They kind of just bickered all the time and picked on each other. And when asked, it's actually kind of funny when asked um by this host, fuck, I don't remember her name. I think it's Davana. Maybe me maybe I should up? look it up. Um, she asked Jan in person. She was like, did you and Cheryl get along or like each other? And Jan is so funny. She goes, yes, no. Yes. I mean, uh, sort of. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like she was very spastic in her answer. And it just it showed the honesty within. I feel like what she felt about their relationship. I don't wow. know. She was she was very straightforward. It was it was humorous. It was funny. I don't know if that <laughs> you have to go listen to it because it was funny. Not really. I'm going to cut all that out. So Cheryl would um, excel pretty uh, heavily when they moved out of this, uh, out of Fort Worth into this small town. She made great grades, uh, managed to nab a spot on the drill team, and um, now at this point, Cheryl is kind of a young teenager, thirteen, fourteen years old. And she gets a hold of some town gossip that there is a new guy working down at the Quick Way convenience store. Mm. That was smooth. (laughs) (laughs) She went to like flick her pen and literally flicked it across the room. I
0: got pen on her couch.
1: (laughs) As like there's dog shit and wine. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Um, But yeah, this new guy is supposed to be pretty cute. um, And it was there she would meet Scott Springfield. Um, It actually wasn't the normal location he worked at. And he was actually just filling in temporarily for the day. So... You know the stars aligned and they met each other and he he recalls that like she came in and she had bro- had her she was I, I don't remember what leg it was but one of them was broken and so she was all casted up and he was like hey nice leg <laughs> and that was the line that kind of won her over I guess but like a
0: reverse Bundy
1: yeah nice well no her <laughs> leg was broken yeah and he oh oh okay I see like but total reverse she yeah in every sense of the word but I still got it. Um, it would be a while before the two saw each other again, actually um, so when Cheryl was seventeen, Scott spotted her at a bar that she and Jan had actually sneaked into um so soon after that second encounter, the two would start dating, so they are super young, um like very this is such a nineteen seventies story, honestly. Um, and soon after that, Cheryl would get pregnant. Uh-huh. Yeah. In 1977, Scott would marry Cheryl just a week before her 18th birthday. Ooh. So, not only did Cheryl gain a husband, but she would also gain a sister-in-law. So, Scott's younger sister is Cindy, our next character in the story. Um, Cindy and Cheryl were really close. She spent a, they spent a lot of time together. She really included Cindy in their lives. And later in the story, they'll end up living together. So uh, when you or when I listened to Cindy's interviews, she was all she could say was really great things about Cheryl, how she really looked up to her. And she was just very sweet and a great person. Um, not long into the marriage, Scott begins to resent his new role as a husband and soon to be father. Yeah, Big shock. like
0: in his early 20s.
1: <laughs> if that, I think like 1920s. Um, the two were dirt poor. Uh, he worked at a radio shack and when those were still around. And Cheryl, still pregnant at the time, was a manager at a burger place in town as well. Um, they barely could afford. Uh, this story is actually really sad. I won't really go over the whole thing, but yeah. they barely could afford the emergency room fee, which was twenty five dollars when their son was born. Oh my they were God. that poor. Yeah, Aww. it was it was bad. So February second, nineteen seventy eight, Scott Allen Springfield would arrive early, and the two newlyweds would finally become parents. So he was named after his dad. He in the whole interview process, he the baby's referred to as Scott Allen. So if okay. that's any clarification, there's again another person added to the equation. Um, Scott did his best to kinda of cut back on, you know, money he was spending, you know, pot he was smoking, tried to stay focused on his family responsibilities, but the couple would wouldn't even make it to their third year or their three year wedding anniversary. Um, he claimed that, you know, back then he just felt like he had no freedom, uh he couldn't see his friends or go out. Uh he just woke up, went to work, came home, repeat, repeat, you know, and it's like, well, that's that's life, man. I don't know. Wear a condom next time, but yeah. okay. Um, Cheryl didn't really fight the divorce, even though she didn't want the marriage to end. But on August 13th, 1980, the divorce would be finalized. Uh, She gained custody of Scott Allen, but gave her now ex-husband kind of a free pass whenever he wanted to come around and see the baby. She didn't want uh, Scott to grow up without a father like she kind of had. And for a brief time, Cheryl and Scott Allen would move back into her mother's house in Crowley to get on their feet, kind of figure out what the next step was going to be. However, soon after that, Cheryl would move yet again. (laughs) uh this is like the most common theme in this whole fucking story uh she would move in with cindy so her ex-sister-in-law if we briefly remember her okay so at this time uh my microphone's falling apart um cindy was living in her family home so cindy's parents had divorced so cindy and scott brother and sister their parents had divorced all right moved out years prior um but left the home essentially to cindy okay cool Um, It was a four-bedroom place, so she had extra space, so it was kind of an easy transition for Cheryl and baby Scott to just move in and hang out, whatever. Cindy had also (laughs) given birth. Oh, my God. I know, to uh, a baby, Christy, uh, just 10 months prior. So two young moms living there with their kids, and then just uh, keep – we're going to keep adding people. Uh, They're joined by 16-year-old Nancy and then her best friend, 17-year-old Donna. Donna was a co-worker of Cindy's, so this house is filled with four women and two babies, okay? Wait, okay, yeah. Yeah. Cheryl, Cindy, Nancy, Donna, Christy, Scott Allen. God, cool. it's like a yeah. bad sitcom. Yeah. Uh, Nancy recalls that each girl had their own room, um, and they all just kind of partied together, but at the same time, they she remembers them just being young girls in the 80s, just trying to kind of figure out their lives. She attests that the girls weren't super close, like even though they lived together and hung out, like they still just weren't the best of friends. At the same time, they all kind of had their separate lives. And this is kind of a sad quote. She said that they were just a bunch of displaced people. I was like, that's hmm. kind of a bummer. I don't Yeah. Know. You know, your late 20s or early 20s, late teens kind of should be the prime time. But I guess yeah. not so much. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Those two girls just kind of had to move into somewhere because they couldn't. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. know.
1: Uh, so Cheryl, 21, newly single, she would go out on the town every now and then, and Scott would come over and babysit his son and his niece from time to time. Um, the formal, former couple remained pretty close and cordial in the months following the divorce, because remember, this is uh, the murder happens in December, and they had just gotten divorced in August, so there wasn't too much time in between.
0: Okay.
1: Um, but yeah, they remain friends-ish, um, specifically or especially because Scott begins to uh, regret his decision. He's, you know, kind of thinking, I fucked up, I shouldn't have been so selfish, and so he wants to be around a little bit more. So it's now December 24th, 1980. Uh, The usual Christmas plans were for Cheryl and Jan, the sisters, to go to Crowley and spend uh, Christmas Day with their mother, Pat, okay? This year, however, Jan was in California visiting some friends for a few weeks. She wouldn't be home for the holiday, so instead... Cheryl decides to go see her mom in Crowley with baby Scott on Christmas Eve and return home that evening and let ex-husband Scott come over on Christmas Day to be with his son. Okay, so that's the timeline we're kind of working with. Pat, ev- Pat evidently tried to convince Cheryl to just stay Christmas Eve night with, you know, at her house in Crowley. They can all hang out and then she can go home Christmas morning, whatever. But Cheryl insisted And Pat drove her daughter and her grandson back to the home Cheryl was sharing with her roommates around 10 p.m. after their kind of little small celebration that they had that evening at uh, Pat's house. Are you following this? Is it too complicated? I'm following this. So
0: while Hannah's drinking wine, we Mm -hmm. have the mother named Pat, sister named Jan, Cheryl is the victim, Mm -hmm. Scott was her husband, now ex-husband, Cindy is her sister-in-law, Scott's sister, her son is Scott Allen. (laughs) Cheryl and Cindy, plus Cindy's daughter, Christy, live with Nancy and Donna. Yep. Nice. So, Killing nice it. little.
1: There's only like one or two people more. Cool. Should be good. Yeah. Guys, we're not we, Sorry. we're not kidding about no. the notepad. This is like It'll a full on family affair right now. <laughs> if you're listening to this sexually. in your car right now, <laughs>
0: you're so pissed. Yeah. Trying to remember all these names and then also not murder people mm. on the
1: road. <laughs> um, Where am I? Okay. Um, So the house would be quiet that night. Nancy and Donna had gone to Nancy's parents' house for the holiday. I won't list those parents' names because it's not relevant. (laughs) Um, And Cindy had plans to go out and party. Um, She left Cheryl to take care of her baby, Christy, for the night. So Cheryl would be home with her baby, Scott Allen, and uh, essentially, I guess, her niece, technically, if she was still married. But anyway, um, Christy, babies, all that stuff with Cheryl. Um, so Cheryl and Scott spoke on the phone that night, confirming their plans for the morning, and Scott would spend that evening, Christmas Eve evening, with his own mother and then return to his apartment. Oh, fuck, I forgot more people. Oh, uh, no. They're relevant. Like, they are part of, yeah, I'm not yeah, just yeah. listing people to, like, fuck you guys over. They're a part of the actual thing. Um, so he hangs out with his mom on Christmas Eve, talks to Cheryl, says, hey, I'll be over tomorrow morning, bright and early, and he goes home later, um, to the apartment that he shares with his best friend, Mark, and his girlfriend. I, I Don't know how to pronounce her name. Severia, Silveria, something like that. I couldn't understand it when she said it on the podcast. Anyway, Scott's car had been having some trouble. So around 6 a.m. on Christmas morning, he lugs this big wheel that he had purchased uh, for his son as his Christmas present. This, you know, little trek down to Cheryl's house, which was only about five blocks. It was actually pretty close, but it's, you know, it's cold. He's -hmm. carrying a big thing. Anyway, so he starts walking. Uh, He remembers unlocking the door, walking inside, ready to kind of hang out and do Christmas with his son and ex-wife. And he didn't really hear anything, didn't see anyone initially. And then he ventures into the living room area a little bit further. There he spots uh, a girl sticking out from under the Christmas tree. He thought it was one of the roommates. Uh, He couldn't really see her face from the way she was positioned. And he honestly just kind of thought that one of the girls had gotten drunk and passed out under the tree. and. She was also naked, so he thought, okay, you know, everyone was having a good time last night, and it was. He knew that these girls partied. He had never actually met the other roommates. If I didn't mention that already, he didn't know what they looked like, so it wasn't uh, a concern to him right off the bat because he didn't know who it was and was just like, whatever, man. Like, and there wasn't
0: any blood no. or okay, yeah,
1: okay. So, um, he began to then hear Scott Allen crying in the bedroom. So he runs to find the baby unharmed, but still no sign of Cheryl. He then realizes he needs to go back and see what was really happening in the living room. Uh, He can now see that it is his ex-wife Cheryl lying naked under the tree. Um, He makes a series of kind of frantic phone calls to the police requesting an ambulance because he thought maybe Cheryl could still, you know, need help, be saved. He didn't realize that she was already dead. Um, He calls his mother, Cheryl's mother, and then his roommate, Mark. Um, So Mark and his girlfriend arrived first since they were just, you know, those five blocks away. Um, And Mark would walk in and end up covering Cheryl with uh, like a sheet or a blanket or whatever, just out of, you know... Uh, respect people in the crime scene i know well and at one point um scott even mentions that he he reaches down to touch her because he you know it's an automatic reflex right but he was like oh you don't touch anything you know like clearly this is not a good thing
0: that's really smart him
1: saying that makes me like like i wasn't i'm not gonna write anything down about him anymore (laughs) (laughs) well but at the same time you could use that against him because it's like well I don't know why didn't you touch her That's like true. if you aren't think if you're thinking devil's advocate it's like well if you really cared you would have reached down and tried to help her That's right true. and yeah so
0: also when you laughed right then you looked like Stassi oh thank you so much when she laughs, <laughs> when she like brings her head back and laughs oh, okay yeah I yeah, know yeah, it was it. cute We <laughs> should take it yeah thank
1: you. <laughs> um god I keep losing my spot all right so yeah Mark comes in covers her with a blanket And then they, he and his girlfriend would take baby Scott back to their apartment, just get him out of the crime scene, let the adults kind of do their thing. Um, Police would arrive. They would also find baby Christy. Remember? She was there too. Oh, that's right. But she was, again, unharmed in her crib, chilling, whatever. Um, Cindy, the other roommate, sister-in-law, all that stuff, she had stayed out all night drinking. You find out later, Cindy was a bit of a hot mess. No judgment, but she... It, there, she has some drug and alcohol problems. Okay. So, um, anyway, she stayed out all night drinking. She was freaking out on her way home because she thought she was running late. Cause she, at you know Christmas Day, she was supposed to take her daughter Christy to her mom's house and celebrate. And she was like, "Oh fuck, I stayed out all night." You know what's happening? She arrives home. Cops are swarming the house, the whole area. Um, and she, they're not letting her inside. And she's just like, "No, but I live here. Like, what's going on?" And they were like, look, your kid's fine. We're taking you down to the police station. Your sister-in-law has been killed. Hey. Or your ex-sister-in-law, whatever. Um, so she goes down to the police station for questioning. They would interview Nancy and Donna. They would reach them at uh, Nancy or Donna or whoever's parents' house, wherever they were at. Um, they take down Scott and Cindy and they start questioning them about the events that night and that morning. Nancy even remembers that, um, or she was interviewed and said "I that she never went back to the house again. She said that her relatives would come by and pick up her belongings. She never stayed in that home. Um, she started receiving threatening phone calls saying that she would be next. And, you know, uh, if you tell anyone, like, we're going to fucking kill you and all this stuff. Some of the phone calls, she says that they weren't able to be traced, but like one of them, it was some, you know, punk kid in town that she had bought pot from or whatever. Just like fucked up small town people, just like being assholes essentially. Um, But it got super serious in her life because her own mother uh, forced her to move to San Antonio for a few months because she was so worried about her own daughter being like uh, the next victim essentially. So there was like a makeshift witness protection program (laughs) or something. Yeah. Um, Jan would be notified while she was in California, um, and she came back to Texas as soon as she could. Uh, she just left all of her shit there, because she was going to be there for, like, a while, and she, like, just like, uh, Nancy, just, like, left everything, essentially. Yeah. Um, Cheryl's death left her, quote, feeling crazy, and the events eventually put- pushed her into becoming a paralegal, because she wanted to do everything she could to solve her sister's murder, because she just oh. felt like... It wasn't going anywhere, and she just wanted to, you know, eventually be able to help with the actual investigation. That's cool. Yeah, very reminiscent of uh, Angela Smoto's friend Sheila Waisaki. Yep, yep. In 2013, I'm gonna kind of bounce around time frame wise just because it feels uh, less formal, whatever, and Mm -hmm. like the the format works anyway. Okay. 2013, Cheryl's mother Pat would pass away. Jan recalls that her mother never spoke about Cheryl's death. The only thing she remembers her saying was that she felt so guilty because she was the one who dropped her off that night into the arms of a murderer. Oh, my God. I know. That's like the verbatim sentence that evidently she told Jan. Ugh. Other than that, she said that Pat wouldn't communicate with detectives. She left it all up to Jan to handle. She didn't want any part of it, and she was very, like, stoic and was just like, yes, this happened, but I'm not going to talk about it. Very, you know, how no one talked about mental health problems and, like, issues and trauma. Yeah, Yeah. It wasn't, like, denial. It was just... This is too much. I can't yeah. bear to talk about my baby daughter being murdered. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I can get that. Um, anyway, so Cheryl's funeral would be held in Crowley, but she would actually be buried back in Breckenridge where she was originally born. Um, Jan remembers her mother having to actually go buy Cheryl a bra to wear for the funeral ceremony, which is kind of bizarre because it's like you're laying down. You want your tits supported. I don't, is that a thing? Like, I, that sounds really disrespectful, but like, is that a thing? Uh, I I know
0: when I lay down, my boobs are in my armpits. So, (laughs) yeah. I was
1: going to say, but you have fake boobs. They shouldn't do that. (laughs) I mean...
0: I don't, but I feel like I asked Brenda, yeah, and I no, was like, I, mean, I was like, am I the weirdest thing. person ever, or do other girls no. have real boobs? If you do have this? any yeah.
1: substance to your boobs, yeah. they will kind of shift off. And
0: she's a, she was a mother, so I would assume that she had yeah some had something going lively on. Lively bosoms. yeah. But
1: I mean, I'm, I don't know. I've met some moms that are just like negative A cup, yeah. but
0: yeah. I think if she had and
1: the kid, if was she two, was it's not like he was newborn,
0: amply endowed, I would hope that my yeah. family would get me a well I'm gonna be burned up anyways but you know what I mean like yes I Uh, (laughs) probably Krampus is coming
1: anyway but no yeah I feel like I I get that yeah Yeah, that's and And maybe it's dependent on like what you're wearing or what type of casket you have and like mm -hmm. how much is visible and you know what I mean yeah I don't know whatever well
0: ooh, and also 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 once you're uh, God, this is so... This feels are so... are you, like,
1: stiff? Like, would it matter? Yeah,
0: I feel like your nipples oh, are at a attention.
1: Maybe. But you don't have any, like, nerve... This is the dumbest conversation ever. It is, and it's pretty... Not sacrilege, it's, but disrespectful. disrespectful. Yeah, like I said. Sorry, Cheryl. Yeah, fuck. Obviously, you had great tits because you needed a bra. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, bra she went though. out... Yeah. Not good. My point was, her mom had to go purchase a bra... For the funeral ceremony, and she was shopping around and the saleswoman kind of walked up to Pat and was like, Oh hey, you know there, buy one, get one free. And she literally, besides her one sentence that she said to Jan about, like, I dropped her off and I'm the source of all this whole thing, this was the only other moment that she really had was that she started crying in front of the saleswoman and like broke down and was just like Essentially told the lady, No, my daughter's been killed. She doesn't need another one. Yep. And it was just like, you know, when those people ask you, Hey, how's your day going? and you're just like oh fuck here it comes and you let them know how you feel like yep. that's that's that moment yep, it's yeah it's just kind of sad Hair
0: trigger whatever yeah. hair pin trigger sure. hair trigger yeah i
1: don't know i don't know combative. yeah
0: <laughs> yeah no that's 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 fucking sad though yeah, cuz this this poor woman just had to keep, to keep it, it all inside yeah, and yeah exactly
1: yeah. Like why can't the funeral director or the fucking whoever go buy a bra? You should have those like part of the package. you yeah, know? Yeah, why
0: couldn't know. someone have gone into her bedroom and right? I also one thought of that I was like did she not own any? Or maybe or, or maybe, maybe her like, mom was like, I want her to be dressed nice. I want gal. her to look beautiful. Maybe. You know, she was in
1: a turtleneck and jeans. Like I mentioned it in a second, she wasn't dressed in like a fancy schmancy whatever. She had. She must have. Big knockers. Big old boobies. Nice. Good for you. God, that's so disrespectful. I'm no sorry. No way, man. Like, good for her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yay. <laughs> uh, So, like I said, Cheryl would be dressed in uh, blue jeans. It was a gift that she had actually received that Christmas Eve night from her stepfather. Ugh, I know. God. Uh, Jan recalls that this is kind of, this is something I feel like I would do because I'm fucking weird and gross. <laughs> Uh, But it was interesting because Jan seems like a pretty straight-laced woman. Not straight-laced, but Jan seems like a traditional kind of lady. And this is interesting what she does. She recalls that the makeup that they had put on Cheryl was so thick that she couldn't even uh, see this specific chicken pox scar that she knew was on Cheryl's face. And she said that she licked her thumb and, like, wiped off the makeup to just see it. And, like, she said it's kind of sad cuz she was like that's when reality sort of set in that like this is what's happening my sister is dead you yeah. know and then she remembers Cheryl wore a turtleneck right um and she said she was like standing over her at the casket and she like pulls down the turtleneck and she sees she well you, i'll tell you later she uh, is strangled mm. um and she sees this massive you know ligature imprint that ha- was remaining on her neck from you know being murdered and she said she was, like, feeling around it and, like, not, like, she was, like, touching her dead sister on her neck and, like, where it happened. That's why she had the turtleneck on to cover it up. And she said she reaches around the back of her neck and that's where she can feel the staples that are, like, in her neck and head. Jan! I know. It was like, Jan, girl, you might want to, like, don't, not don't fuck with your feel sister. around a dead body yeah. after oh, And, like, wipe off the makeup. Like, they worked on that. Like, it may not look great, but they did it for a reason because it's, like. Like, and, I like can kinda, I'm not trying to get pissed at you, Jan. Like no, I know that takes me back to that scene in My Girl where oh fuck that movie was like everything. Yeah, for me. she's
0: freaking out because he's not wearing his glasses. Right. And can't, yes, and she's like my this my sister. You know she had mm-hmm. that scar. Like I know she had that scar. Yeah. Like I can see that. I cannot see her fingering around the right. staples it's like kinda, that's that's a little much it's a little much but I can also give her the
1: chicken pox scar thing yeah the grief i don't know grief yeah. does a lot of weird things to you you just want to know and like see you want to feel her it. you want to yeah. try to feel close for to sure. her again but i was just like holy <sighs> shit she's you got to the fucking it.
0: staple like <gasps> that's so sad it's so traumatic she was in another state like i can't imagine the guilt she felt for not for sure being there and like
1: not being cl- she mentions at one point in the interview like I keep saying but she said you know how kids or siblings sp- specifically of the same sex they usually hate each other growing yeah. up you know oh, you're yeah. a couple years apart and you're into different shit and she said but eventually you know you grow up and you become best friends and she said we never got to get to that point point. Oh. and I was like god fuck you damn it That's like so ugh. sad god fuck you damn it what <laughs> I, <was laughs> say, fuck I you, mean, Jan. Yeah. um anyway Jan I think you're cool All right, so fast forward 2017, 37 years after Cheryl's murder, okay? So Detective Jeremy Roden would be the newest cold case detective to basically inherit uh, Cheryl's case, all right? So spoiler alert, no one's been caught. (laughs) It's cold. (laughs) Uh, He would state that uh, Cheryl's body, this is kind of when we get into actually what is happening with Cheryl, okay? Cheryl's body was found with a blanket covering her, placed there by the friend Mark, like I said. Um, she was nude. She had been raped. Mm. Yeah. She was covered in scratches and bruises from an obvious like beating or struggle. They're kind of uncertain. And this is new. Um. So she had been strangled to death with a thick sheared off iron cord. So the cord that connects to your iron that you iron your shirts with, someone cut it off and strangled her with it. So an existing iron that was in the Correct. house. Correct. Okay. Yes. It was- From that home. Um, So in 1980, it wasn't a common police practice to interview children, especially a two-year-old. But they did kind of wonder if Scott Allen had uh, seen anything since he was found in, you know, relative distress. Um, And Jan, talking Jan, she remembers Scott Allen saying that the bad man hurt mama.
0: Oh, my God. Okay.
1: Yeah. All they could really get out of him.
0: And that's very specific.
1: Oh, yeah, cool.
0: well, I,
1: I think of my nephew who is going to be three here in like March or something like that. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't. Two year olds can't. They can talk to you, obviously, but like mm-hmm. it could have been anything. You know what I mean? I've heard of so many cases where they interview children. I mean, look at fucking Burke Ramsey. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just it's uh hard to decipher what the truth is, what they really mean and like what it all means of like. Did he look like someone that you're told not to speak to in real life? Right. And did that's he, why he's a bad did man. Did you actually know him? Were you like it? It's you don't know. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's the thing. DNA obviously wasn't a tool that was used by the police either. Mm-hmm. Um, they really just kind of relied on blood typing, fingerprints, yada, yada. So that's kind of what they had to go off of at this point. Um, so the original police that kind of investigated everything, they would, uh, collect as much evidence as they could, but it was really difficult because there were just so many women living there, each whom had friends and boyfriends over at the home at any given time. So there was, even if they found anything, there was no real answer of like, oh, well that person's fingerprints there. So they did it. It didn't, it wasn't like Cheryl just lived there by herself. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Or even just with Cindy or whatever. So the majority of the evidence that was collected and tested, mainly clothing evidently, um, of Cheryl's came back with it being linked to just Cheryl herself. So whenever she was raped, whenever the clothing was removed, uh none of the suspect or the perpetrator or the killer, or whatever, none of his shit got on there. And whether maybe that was because he forced her to take it off herself, mm-hmm. I don't know. But nothing came back, uh, to anyone else really but Cheryl. So They were really kind of at a dead end. The murder weapon, like you said, had come from inside the house, leaving it pretty much accessible to anyone. Um, So prints, DNA, whatever that was found on there, it may not even be the killers. So,
0: Have we talked about the entry to the house? Was there a forced entry? No.
1: So remember Scott came in, and um, this actually is kind of, I guess I'll bring this up because it reminds me of, um, what's her face? Uh, Shelly Nance's case. Um, So remember in Shelly Nance, her roommate, couldn't remember when she turned the key into the uh key hole if it was unlocked or locked and how you, when you just it was right. a natural instinct to just like here i'm home blah 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 you sometimes you can tell if it's a little looser when you turn it mm-hmm. and you're like oh yeah it's already unlocked he said that he had a key because he frequented over there babysitting yada yada um and so he just unlocked the door too and he was like i don't remember if it felt unlocked or locked already yeah so we don't know
0: yeah okay
1: and i don't know they never brought up fingerprints on the doorknob none of that shit like it was never I mentioned i wonder
0: if they even looked for that i'm sure
1: they did i mean that's all yeah. they really use well, evidence wise you know but if
0: you have mark and Silveria coming in mm-hmm. and they're like and exactly. then the, was the police ask like was they, the door open
1: they're like they fuck up a latent i don't know i opened it and they're right. like well can't get fingerprints exactly for that. Yeah. yeah so anything that could have and it's not not their fault for showing no. up and trying to help nope. but it it, it could have uh, definitely Messed up the whole entire crime scene. Not everyone
0: always thinks of things as like this is a true crime. Well, like we said, I mean
1: Scott even was like, I don't need, I shouldn't touch her because Mm -hmm. he was smart enough to realize, oh, this is a crime scene now, and most people don't. And so, yeah, you look suspicious if you think that way, though. It can turn on you. It can, especially if it's all for naught and Mm -hmm. she doesn't end up having anything on her. Yeah. Yeah, and then you just put a target on your back, anyway. Yeah. Um, blah blah blah. Lots of the evidence was linked back to just Cheryl, like I said. So again, Detective Jeremy Roden says that he um, this is kind of terrible, but like interesting too. He heard um, and he didn't really say where or how or through the grapevine of all the the detectives that had come before him, but he has heard the story of um a few of Cheryl's neighbors claiming that they saw her outside on the porch of her home with an unknown male around 2 a.m. that night, arguing and yelling. This is the sad part, is that there are no statements from these people. We don't have their names. There's no suspect description. It is essentially all hearsay. There's nothing in the case file about it. I, you know, that's all he really uh, offered up in that reference to that little detail but it's just like what the fuck 1980 like write this shit down like unless it got lost and i don't want to like you know put the blame on some you know rookie cop that was taking the statements from the neighbors but like what the hell this could be a huge lead yeah it probably is the lead yeah so he said the i guess there was like a school nearby uh like a bible school a seminary school and he said the only information that he has is that they most likely were seminary students and then I thought, OK, what about housing records? And that's when he immediately starts talking about the landlord, the owner. And then he said, you know, that no one was keeping real like they, the people that were living there, these alleged witnesses, um, they were renting and that like no one was keeping real records of that kind of thing. And even still, it's 2017 did someone keep great records 40 years ago? Right. You know, you know what I mean? If they're God. still alive, if it's the, still the same homeowner, that kind of thing.
0: That sucks. Yeah, so it That's does. a shit that can and will make or break a case. Mm-hmm. Like, in fucking kind of crazy. Lacey Peterson, the neighbors that never got right. interviewed were like, no, I saw her walking at this time, which right. means the murder couldn't have happened at this time. You know, it's mm-hmm. like... Oh.
1: But eyewitness like eyewitness testimony is also like the least Total reliable yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I don't know who's out on their porch at two AM on Christmas Eve in a small town, I don't know. Right. Yeah, like that you would think that's and they seminary students, enough. they're not getting fucked up, they're probably sober as shit and that's like true. Knows, know what's happening. That's true. Uh, uh, whatever. So Scott was obviously a person of interest initially, as most spouses or whatever significant others are uh their divorce remember had been incredibly recent so motive was a possibility in the police's minds so Scott would take two poly- polygraph tests and he cooperated the entire investigation he wasn't you know he knew he was innocent whatever he would be ruled out as a suspect shortly thereafter um <clears throat> but he says that every time the case is kind of passed on to a new investigator or whatever he is still heavily questioned and even threatened until eliminated as a suspect yep. he will like sit in a room. He will go down to the station every time it's moved on to another cold case person. And he's just like, yeah, I'm here again. Cool. Wow. We're gathering new statements. Tell me what happened. And he's just like, here it is. And then they still are on their high horse, which I get mm-hmm. fresh pair of eyes, new technology, younger person. They're not burned out on the case. But, you know, you have fucking 37 years of mm-hmm. people investigating this case and these people involved. You might want to just trust. I mean, I don't want to say that because you just never fucking know. But it's just kind of obnoxious that you don't have to go so hard on the guy. Yeah. He's clearly proven his innocence multiple years. And now he's,
0: you know, been living for 37 years with the death of his son's mother. That just. Yeah. And in this trauma, he found her body, too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So during uh, Jan's quest for, you know, justice and answers with her paralegal stuff and like just really getting heavily involved, trying to figure out what happened. Um, She would submit open records requests on Cheryl's case. She obtained crime scene photos, all the files, etc. She even interviewed past detectives on the case. Like she fucking did it. Like she wasn't messing around. She wanted to figure out what the hell was going on. Um, And this is when I had to transfer myself to my notebook paper. (laughs) (laughs) Look, this is when the podcast goes downhill. (laughs) I didn't have time to finish typing this out. So the rest is on. This is all scribble scrabble. God damn it. Just like mine always yeah. is. So. All right. Bear with me as I try to read my handwriting and You'll give you guys a decent story. Right. So, um, a few suspects were kind of uh, in development with police um, years kind of after, um, during, like right after, and then kind of working theories throughout the years. Okay. So, um, detectives even told Jan at one point that Henry Lee Lucas even confessed to her murder. But gave like some bullshit detail that she was wearing this like black nighty or something, and clearly she was found naked. Right. So I thought that was kind of interesting. God, um, man, like, how did he sucker. even like hear about it? I don't know. That's just kind of bizarre. Which makes you think like, was he in prison with someone? I don't know. It's just mm. I don't know.
0: Um.
1: So anyway, the two main suspects that detectives kind of focused on, um, were actually both connected to Cindy, the sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. Now, I really I love Cindy. She's actually. Kind of cool, but not great. Um, the first person that they suspect is her ex-husband, Ricky Brothers. So this is the father of Christy, their daughter. Um, he evidently kinda had a bit of a history, nothing too criminal, but he was just a little erratic, had a bit of a temper, uh, wasn't just he just wasn't a great guy, I guess, but he eventually committed suicide. So, um, I guess he is irrelevant at this point. So was it because he was guilty of the murder? No, I think he was troubled based no. on kind of the brief summation that I gathered. Fuck, that sucks then. Mm-hmm. um, The second suspect and the main one that uh, has lingered is Barry Kelly. This, this guy. So uh, Barry and Cindy met by phone. I don't know what that means exactly. The, I think I know. You think Cindy was like a sex, but they were teenagers. No. I don't know. No. I I People's call random numbers. Can't remember
0: where I heard it or read it or saw it in a movie. Back in the eighties and nineties, before there were there was internet oh, dating. Oh, was like call this hotline. We'll hook you up with a single kind of exactly. person. Exactly, and it was kind of like Fun. they they hook you up like you have funny. a voicemail thing where you're like, oh. my name's Cheryl and oh, I like blah yeah, yeah, yeah. blah 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 blah, and then you can I'm Cindy. Kind of go years through. It. It's like, I like to press party. one to connect. Press or two to move on. You know, right, it was like option. OG okay. Tinder.
1: Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah. So that Swipe could left, be it. Click left. Click one, two. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I get it now. She didn't go into that. That makes sense. So Barry Kelly, they meet by phone, like I said. Um, when Cheryl and Cindy were actually young teenagers, so I know that they mentioned that Barry is a bit older than Cindy, but um, like not by much. And so it's kind of creepy. If this is the case with this phone service situation, mm-hmm. like why would Cindy have a profile at, at when it, when she's a teenager? Like she's kind of a party girl and a bit of a rebel, but like I don't know. You would think she would just like go fucking sleep with the guys at her high school or right. like whatever? Like, but maybe she liked the it, older guy. You know what I mean? She
0: could have, or it could be
1: sex phone operator. Right. You know? Maybe I don't know. Anyway, Ooh. we're just speculating at this point. Sorry, yeah. Cindy. Um, But yeah, Barry was kind of a bad boy. He was, you know, at the time of the murder, he was 21 as well, I believe is what I read. I'll get to it at some point. Um, But anyway, he was older than Cindy, yada, yada. They kind of had a little fling-ish when they were younger, but nothing substantial. And then in 1977, he goes to prison for burglary. Okay, 1980, he's released. So just a few years later, he's out of the can slammer? What's a good term? A can the like, joint? The joint. The joint. <laughs> the can? And that's a bathroom. What am I it's thinking? It's also a can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it both? Okay, good. Is that a box? Wrong? The box. I think that's solitary out of though. The box. I just hurt my wrist again. God damn it. Oh, no. That's fine. Um anyway, god damn it. This is not the way to do my notes. It's cool. This is so much better when I read off what I'm supposed to say. Um Da, 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 da. He's released 1980. Cheryl is um evidently not a fan, okay? He will call Cindy all the time. He won't let it go. He just like keeps persisting with the phone calls. And Cheryl's just like, look, dude, she's at work. This is when they're all, when she and Cindy are living together, okay? Okay. So nineteen eighty, they're all in that house, the four women and the babies. That sounds like a movie three men and a baby four women and two babies um so he's calling hitting her up constantly and Cheryl's just like dude fuck off like she get a life she doesn't want to date a prison dude like go away right she's not having it she wants better for her sister-in-law essentially um this is kind of the sad part about Cindy okay is that she is clearly a battered woman she clearly doesn't understand and not not that we do but you know we've we research this stuff and we have a little bit of a better grasp on it than, I guess, the average person. That sounds really conceited, but whatever. Mm. But it's a clear observation or clear example is what I'm trying to say of a person who doesn't understand coercive control and is in a very controlling relationship. Okay. She has let this guy control her for years in whatever way or another because she is – she specifically says – I don't think Barry could have killed Cheryl because he loves me. He wouldn't do that to me. He would Ooh. not hurt me that way. And I'm just sitting here like, "Of course, that's exactly that's exactly his plan." Right. Um because I'll explain later about their relationship, but it's just like that's what they want to do. They love you so much, they will hurt you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they uh they do that fucked up shit because they're so pissed at you. You uh-huh. know what I mean? That's all the control. Like it was just sad because I was like, "Oh my god. You just if you could understand." Anyway.
0: Yeah, outside looking in.
1: Yeah. Um so the family really distances themselves from Cindy because um they she isn't in agreement. She doesn't think that Barry could be involved. She uh turns to drugs and alcohol. Um she leaves her daughter Christy to be raised by her mother who's also raising Scott Allen as well. So the grandkids are with the grandma like Christy or excuse me Cindy just kind of goes off the rails at this point, okay? Jeez. <clears throat> so we just finished with Cheryl being murdered in 1980, okay? A month later, so he is 21. A month later after Cheryl's death, okay? Barry is 21 years old, and he goes on a huge crime spree in North Richland Hills, which is kind of near Dallas, mm-hmm. okay? Um, so January 11th, 1981, he breaks into a home in this North Richland Hills neighborhood. He kidnaps a girl who's there visiting her family from Indianapolis or some shit. Um, she takes her out of the house at knife point steals three purses and all the shit that's in there, uh, takes her out into like the backs of the neighborhoods, into some yard, and is essentially about to rape and kill this woman, okay? Random house, random time. He's literally probably cracked out. I don't know. And he gets spooked by a passing car and ditches everything and runs off. Right? What? Yeah. Gets better. Um, he's picked up two days later and during by the police, obviously during interviews. He is feeling, you know, a little threatened, a little angry. He's mad that he's, you know, being questioned about his uh, actions. And he takes, you know, this is, like I said, 81. They have ashtrays. Everyone still smokes inside, right? He takes an ashtray and bashes it into the uh, cop's head and escapes. Ooh, yeah, What? He's 21. He He's fast. He can move, right? So, again, keeping on with the crime spree. Two days later after that... He's on a stolen motorcycle because that's obviously what you do. What the fuck? Pick something with a little more cover so they can't see your face. Maybe? <laughs> he, gets, he gets in an accident, obviously, uh, with another yeah. car. And I'm surprised he didn't run off, to be perfectly honest, because obviously he's good at that. Um, and so the cops show up to the accident with the motorcycle thing. They run his name. Uh, they find out he's wanted for this shit that happened in North Richland Hills and with the police officer with the ashtray. And um, he gets arrested. He's put in jail in Tarrant County. Okay. Okay. During that time, he decides to go on a hunger strike. He's still being an uh, obnoxious, attention-seeking piece of shit. Super, just the worst. He goes on a hunger strike. He wants to. There's some guy that also had gone on one for like 66 days, and he's like, "Oh, I'm going to be like him. I'm going to be like the coolest criminal in the world." Whatever. He makes it like 16 days. He's annoying. He's fine. Oh my god. Yeah, no one cares. Now I sound like Cassie turning my pages. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh da da da, da, da June nineteen eighty one. This is when Barry pleads guilty to uh the police attack with the ashtray. Okay? okay. This is super annoying. This part I hate. He gets fifteen years for attacking the police officer for assault on a police officer. He gets ten years for the burglary, right? Um, or the attempted whatever burglary of going into that house mm-hmm. and kidnapping that girl, but he takes a plea deal, so there's no charges for the kidnapping and attempted most likely rape and murder of that girl. Oh my god! Like, Why do plea part deals that exist? Means the most the the part that should matter get rid of the burglary, dude. Like, and I know that they probably have to have the burglary because it'll tack on more time because it's a felony thing and like attempt or intent to commit a felony. You know what I mean? But it's annoying that this girl just got snubbed hard. Yep. So. But hey, eighty man. ma'am. Four years later. All right, so we're looking at twenty five years. Mm-hmm. He's looking oh, at 25 years. Oh, they weren't. They weren't running concurrently? No. Cool. Um, well, they didn't specify, so that's I can't say no. But okay. they didn't say otherwise, so I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, so four years into this whole thing, he writes a letter to the judge and says that it was self defense. What with the, the ashtray thing? <laughs> yeah. He said he felt bullied, he felt like the cop was Threatening him and pushing him to say things he didn't want to say, kind of forced confession sort of vibe, and he felt threatened and bullied, and so that's why he did what he did.
0: But you, you just felt threatened. It's kind of like the same thing. It's like I know this is insensitive to say, but like Tyler, the creator, tweeted, like, "Why is online bullying a thing? Just like shut your eyes, close your laptop. It's like you feel bullied by a cop who wasn't touching you. Like you, you just."
1: I mean, you don't assault him with an ashtray. Yeah. Unless he said, hey, I'm going to go fuck your daughter. Like, I don't know. Like, you should keep your hands to yourself regardless. Yeah, you are arrested. (laughs) Yeah, but he's 21 and uh, I... Fucking idiot, obviously. Well, he has problems, yeah. Yeah. Um... What was I going to say that it was actually a good point? No, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Fuck, I'm sorry. I no, made a No, no, silly no. Point. it was about what you were talking about. Oh, bully. The root of what the word bully means. Do you mm. know where that comes from? I think I heard it on the last podcast on the left. No. Was that essentially like a pimp back in the day was called a bully and that's where it comes from? Whoa. Oh, I, know. I dropped some knowledge at people on work and they were like, or at work and they were like, whoa. Whoa. Okay, <laughs> on work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, okay, here's another great little fun fact is in 1986. So he was, again, 1981, pled guilty to all that shit. This is 1986. He's released on parole. So he gets a full on five years of his 25 years. Yay. What? Yeah. The fuck? Oh, okay. I thought you were going to be like, you did math wrong. I was like, wait, no. No,
0: no. I'm just, I think the
1: (laughs) courts did math wrong. Yeah, for sure. All right. This is when it gets real fun. Oh,
0: God. So
1: he's out, okay? Five years in prison for all that, you know, like you would say, berserker mode Mm -hmm. of his few days of terror that he had in Dallas. He goes back to Fort Worth and casually finds Cindy walking down the street, okay? Super creepy because it's like this is not the age of geotagging and and, you know, you know, whatever social media where you can find someone, pretty big. Um, so they he finds her on the street and pretty much just hits her up and was just like, Hey girl, long time no see. And they start hanging out, it gets real, and what do you know? They get married a year later, February 11th, (laughs) yeah. This relationship was very much, most likely, fueled by drugs and alcohol, serious addiction, serious mental issues, not positive, constructive things. Okay. Oh my god. I think he knew. No offense to Cindy, but that she was a vul- vulnerable and easy target, and he—that's why he drove back to town. Like, oh yeah, I remember her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I find Cindy. Yeah. I'll find Cindy. (laughs) Yeah, I bit my cheek (laughs) while I said that. Et cetera, et cetera. Et (laughs) cetera. So, obviously, her family is not happy with her again. She first doubted that he wasn't involved in Cheryl's murder. Now she up and marries the guy, right? So they're fucking pissed. Does she know?
0: No, I guess she probably doesn't because he was never, like, prosecuted for the attempted rape and murder.
1: I don't... She...
0: And there's no internet, it. You can't right? Google
1: well, she, later she was she admits to not even knowing about other crimes that we'll talk about, um, in just a second. Man, I've gone, I've talked a really long time. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. No. Um, but she clearly isn't on the up and up okay. about what's happening with him. So no, I highly doubt that she had any idea about his history, and not like he's gonna give what? it up. You know what I mean? He's probably just like, hey, girl, I'm back in town from living in Dallas for a few years. Like, okay, Oy. yeah, Yeah. Oy, 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 um. So yeah, family wasn't happy about it. The marriage didn't. Even last a year, okay. So, you know, it was worth it. it. Yeah. She will again be interviewed. She said that you know he wasn't really abusive. He he never hit me. Um, but he was really scary, and um, I just feel like that's just all denial because she doesn't Mm -hmm. understand what is still abusive. Uh, Oh yeah, I mean, what abuse abuse really means. Very much abuse. Now, this is a. I personally think this is a great example of physical abuse. She will explain a uh, a night that she had with Barry in a hotel room where he gave her a tattoo on her hand at gunpoint. It's still there to this day. His initials with a star. <laughs> Holy shit. Yes. At gunpoint? Yes, and you can hear the 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 denial but like the understanding that she sounds stupid kind of mentality. She's like I know but like he loves me and like I know he wouldn't have shot me. Like I don't think he would have shot me. But he never had the gun at my head. But maybe a couple times he did. But I really didn't want the tattoo. But like you know you can just hear her trying to make sense of it all. And like make excuses for him. so fucked up by
0: all of these like Mm -hmm. terrible relationships and things that have happened to her. That's so
1: sad. And she said that you know. He she just he wanted to do the tattoo because he loved me. You know I know he loved me and it's okay. He just he, I was his. I he I only belonged to him and she didn't even like get the whole like ownership thing. Like it was just terrible.
0: Yeah. This wow. is
1: nice. So the final straw for Cindy to leave Barry was when he gave her hepatitis. Oh my god. I know. Fuck. I know. It's pretty sad. Um. Uh. So this is after. They break up, they, their marriage ends, hepatitis, all that shit. He once again gets in a car and finds Cindy walking down the street into a store with her friend, okay, into a convenience store. He kidnaps Cindy, okay. In the process, he hits two cars in the parking lot and while he's trying to get out of there, leaving, whatever, he, he has this big accident. He kidnaps her at knife point also, by the way. Um, Takes her out basically into the, the the woods in this park, terrorizes her for about two hours or so. Oh, my God. Right? Um, essentially, she persuades Barry to, um, in the midst of their two-hour conversation or whatever, convinces him to go to the police about the car accident. Somehow talks him down. And you know how, like, you can do that? Like, the whole, like, different rape profiles of, like, mm-hmm. if you go into a situation you're getting raped and you go with the flow with the guy and say yeah I do like this this is cool come back tomorrow night I'll bring my friends that kind of thing that you hear all the time that girls survive this shit because they actually feed into this dude I'm wondering if that's what happened with her that she was able to talk him down from essentially killing her and made him feel okay yeah you know and talk down his rage right
0: like going to mommy mode right kinda. like i love
1: you it's okay yeah. let's just make sure we get these people's cars taken care of let's go to the cops really quick <sighs> Shit, man. yeah so like kind of smart maybe yeah, good if for that's her. actually how it happened um but at that point that's when they go to the cops about the cars and they ask her like hey ma'am are you okay and that's when she's like fuck no yeah this good. is what happened jesus so he's arrested divorce is final blah 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 oh god this is when it gets real Okay. So, I'm really sorry. This would take so much less time if I had typed this out. <laughs> You're doing good. Okay, cool. All right, so Barry's arrested, divorced, all that stuff. A few days before, we're going to rewind, okay? <laughs> 63-year-old Melva Teams would be living in a home with her daughter Mary Copeland. I want to say this was in Fort Worth as well. Again, these are my written down notes, and I would have figured it out uh, later, but I didn't. Um, Mary, her daughter, goes out for the night. And Melva goes on her walk, her nightly walk. She's an older lady. She just kind of wants to get some fresh air, whatever. Mary comes home from her night, kind of out at a bar, whatever. Not super late. It was 11-ish, I think, from what I remember. Um, She notices her mom's pickup truck is not in the driveway. She also noticed her mother was not at the home. She saw a butcher's knife on the counter. She saw that her mom's checkbook was also on the counter and it had checks ripped out of it. She went into her mom's bedroom to find her. She sees a bra on the messy bed. The mattress had been, like, pushed off to the side. It was clearly not normal. Her mm-hmm. mom kept a very pristine home. She finds her mom's jeans on the floor, and she opens the drawer where her mother's pistol is usually located. It's open, or it already is open, sorry, and the gun's missing. Okay. Okay. So red flag, red flag, red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, her also her purse is missing and she knows that her mom keeps her wedding rings in her purse for like her little safekeeping. Um, they file a missing persons report um, and then eventually the car, the pickup truck is found. OK. Um, and God, man, this sucks. October. I'm really sorry, you guys. This is just terrible. October 19 er, October 17th, 1987. Melva's body will be found. Okay. Aww. She is, again, an older lady, which is really sad. She's found in a dry creek bed off of a highway. Um, and she is also found strangled from material that is supposedly, allegedly, most likely ripped from her shirt that she was wearing. So, another.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: and this is from the, the, the good part. The knot that was tied is the same style of knot that was tied. With the iron cord on oh Cheryl. Oh, my God. I know. Um, yeah. So, seven years earlier, Cheryl had the same exact knot with the iron cord as Melva has on her uh, T-shirt that's wrapped around her neck. Um, so, we have Barry. He's connected to both families, okay? Um, obviously, Barry with Cheryl dating Cindy's uh, sister. Now, we have Barry is connected to Mary Copeland, who is Melva's daughter. How? They dated.
0: Oh my God. Yep. So he's killing another person as close as you can get yep. to the person that he's dating and wants to <clears throat> hurt because he's abusive as fuck. Oh my God.
1: He totally did it. So um. oh my God. I know. So Barry and Mary huh? <laughs> would meet in December 1986. They dated for a while. Uh, Mary claims that they had sex in the home that she and her mother would they shared together, um, but their relationship kind of fizzled out, and it ended in February of 1987, which remember is when he married Cindy. Barry was sleeping around, which is fine, but don't get people hepatitis. Yeah, that makes you a dirty slut, not a fun slut. <laughs> oh, fun sluts. <laughs> um, yeah. So he don't doesn't talk to Mary anymore after they date, and gets married to Cindy. But in June. Uh, he starts calling Mary again,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um, so obviously he had known Melva. Um, Melva was very nice to Barry when Mary had uh, dated him. She had given him money to like you know go fix his car. Um, she was very kind to him and really not. I don't want to say took pity on him, but she was like, hey, this is my daughter's boyfriend. Like, it's you know, let me be nice. Um. And this is also another fun fact about the night, is that multiple sex workers would tell police that they saw Barry that night in Melva's truck. Same blue and white, whatever the colors were, I think.
0: And if there's one thing I know about sex workers is they are always on the lookout because right. they are
1: scared right. all the fucking time. One of them even tells police that she shot up heroin in the truck. Oh. And Barry pulls out wedding rings that he tells her he got from an old lady.
0: That's really specific. He I know. Did it.
1: And then, but he... of course, they don't trust her because she's a sex worker. Oh no, they it, it goes somewhere. Don't worry. Really? Oh, thank God, Tarrant County. Um, he also tells the sex worker about the rings, like I said. But he also says this truck is hot. Essentially, you know, it's stolen. It's gonna get picked up later. Like, you know, can't stay here long. Essentially. Yeah. And obviously, he ditches the truck because they find it. You know, soon after uh, Melva's murder. Um, Barry will pawn the wedding rings for $450 that he used to as a down payment for another car since he had to get rid of uh, Melva's. Mm -hmm. Um, Mary actually kind of does some badass like detective work because she finds a semen stain on her mom's bedspread.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, and she will, this is actually good police work too, because they were like, okay, whatever. Maybe your mom was having sex, right? It's like, no, no, no. My mom is very old. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that. And she said, I never had sex in my mom's bed. We did have sex at that home, but never in my mother's bed. And also they were able to actually determine that her mom didn't even own that bedspread when she and Barry were dating. Oh. So they like went to pretty good lengths to be like, narrow this down of like, all right, this could maybe be his. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it wasn't from Sex with Mary. Right. And it wasn't from we're, before. Yeah, they it, made sure it, his defense now. couldn't
0: say, right. well, they probably no timestamp on, that. on exactly. semen, that
1: kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Anywho. Wow. This is also, this case is actually really great, despite my not doing a good job at it. No, no, no. This is crazy. I'm on a roller okay, coaster cool. ride. Um, so this is awesome. So we're at eighty seven ish now, right? I think, whatever. Mm-hmm. So DNA had never been used in a Tarrant County criminal case up to that point. So I guess we are in Tarrant County. I don't even know, man. It's fine. <laughs> Look it up. Um. So DNA, not used in Tarrant County criminal case at any point. This is all fresh, right? So we know 83, 85, that's when DNA is really on the rye or like found out. It's happening. Starts getting into criminal cases in the 90s, okay? So this is... um. Paul Kratz he's a detective he's the um first guy that actually ar- he does the arrest interview with um Barry and basically says like he didn't give a confession he denies the whole thing he's completely arrogant about it and he just can tell like he's the scum of the earth he's not mm. admitting to anything with Melva like after all the eyewitness testimonies with the prostitute sorry the with the uh, sex workers Mm -hmm. and um the they said they found finger his fingerprints in melva's truck like it's just there's more than just the semen okay it's obvious so he was like he's a predator he's a doper he's out for himself he has no conscience this is all verbatim from him i'm not just making that up (laughs) um Cindy claims that she never knew Mary, never had heard of her, didn't know who Melva was. You know, obviously she hadn't been in contact with Barry for a long time. And then he just shows up out of the blue and they get married. You know what I mean? It's not. She's not on the, you know, forefront of what like he's up to, you know. So detectives come and talk to Mary or excuse me, talk to Cindy about Mary and Melva and like the situation. They don't really give super details about what happened um, and it's they don't come right out and say, hey. Your ex husband, Barry, is on trial for Melba's murder. Mm-hmm. They don't really go into that. They just tell her, hey, whatever, this is what's happening, and we're going to question you. And she's subpoenaed, but she never has to testify. Okay. Which sucks because I feel like that could have been like
0: he, almost he, like character witnessy
1: type. Yeah, and also she could have testified and said, yeah, he kidnapped me. Right. And, you know, I mean, maybe not because maybe that's not admissible because it was a separate case and you can't bring that <sighs> into someone else's thing, but I don't know. Yeah. Maybe she never had to punishment destroy.
0: phase shit. Maybe be like here's yeah. his character well, now because
1: I mean, they're not obviously not going to bring up the North Richland Hills girl because she wasn't actually her thing wasn't even tried, you right. know, like it's whatever. And
0: that, by the way, pisses me off so much that jurors only are privy to information pertinent to that specific crime and they don't know the background of the criminal. I feel but like that's how it goes
1: both ways, though.
0: I know. I know. But like in an instance
1: like this, it's like, Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know that could you you should be Ugh. smart enough to ascertain the difference between like we've said before how like fucking Michael Peterson how they brought in homosexuality into the staircase you know murder thing yeah it's like that has no relevance right necessarily with the murder motive maybe but not really mm-hmm. if you come when it comes down to it but if this guy is clearly obviously raping and killing and kidnapping women that should maybe fucking be brought up right like that holds a lot more weight in mm-hmm. my mind
0: fuck yeah because but you're right it is a double-edged sword because yeah. you could cast unnecessarily mm-hmm. doubt exactly. in a juror's mind because some kid was caught with pot a few years back right. and like maybe did some petty thievery exactly. yeah yeah oh yeah. our justice system is the worst well sometimes. people are
1: the worst are people are the worst. people have emotions and judgments that they can't control just yeah. like you we know we need
0: robots to preside over our That's probably gonna happen in the next
1: like twenty years. I don't know. I don't know. The singularity is near. Well, humans are just like the worst thing to ever happen to any form of government or law enforcement. To be perfect, yeah, we are the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But humans will make those robots, so it's again full circle. Not Mm -hmm. a great idea. Um, It's a seventeen-day trial. So Barry is going to trial for Melva's murder. Okay, he's arrested. All that shit. Cindy is subpoenaed. Doesn't testify. He gets life in prison. Okay.
0: It's yes, great.
1: That's wonderful, okay? He's still in denial, still doesn't admit to it. but you know, it's obvious in everyone's mind, back in Cheryl's world, family, Scott, her sister, it this just reaffirms that he was probably involved in Cheryl's murder, okay? Yeah, they see, oh, he killed someone else and Basically, the same same fucking mo. Yeah. Of he knew the you know Melva's daughter Mary. They dated her. Same thing with Cindy. Like it's just it's too convenient, right?
0: Mm
1: Hmm. Um. Cindy still in denial. She pretty much just covers up her guilt about the whole thing. She's she feels guilty because she says that um she brought Barry into Cheryl's life, and she just feels terrible about that factor. If he did it, Mm -hmm. but she still holds a little bit of doubt about it. Ugh. This is cool. So in 2001, Detective Mike Carroll, he's just a probably a random detective that gets assigned Cheryl's case um in the 37 years, um he gets a search warrant for Barry's DNA. Okay? Yeah. He goes down the path, he figures it out somehow that hey, this could be a suspect, right? Let's go for it. Um so he obviously cites the connection to, you know, Cindy's uh, relationship with Cheryl, her attack herself, and then obviously to Melva, sim similar death with the ligature, all that shit. Um, they test the DNA, it's not a match. Doesn't include or exclude him though. Okay. So there's. Uh, so it's like inconclusive. Exactly. Um, but you know, the police are trying to tell everyone like, look, we can't just charge the guy just because a similar murder happened. Right. You can't just do, I think the guy explained it. He was like, you can't take someone who stole a car and charge him with every stolen car in his town. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or a car stolen that was in his town. Like it doesn't work that way, which I get. But again, it's kind of like, well,
0: if it looks like a duck and
1: sounds like a duck, it's probably. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Fucking duck. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so I'm wrapping it up here, right? Um, Barry will reach out to police in 2017 after, like I said, 37 years of Cheryl's uh, case being cold. He says that he has info that would solve the case. And police agree to meet with him in Wichita Falls, where he was being held at the time. And essentially they find out that he is wanting to just kind of barter with him or yeah, with them. of course he is. He's a piece know, of shit. I know. Absolutely. And yeah. that's a common practice with uh inmates. It happened in my case. And um he just kind of wanted certain amenities. He wanted I guess a certain, you know, cell block I guess or food or a fucking benefits. TV which happens. Yeah, exactly. A private ring- stupid wing shit. so you can conduct your political work. It's yeah. happening right now. Essentially, when police are like, no, man, I can't do that for you. Like, this isn't that's not what we do. He, oh, I
0: forgot everything. Sorry. Right.
1: He tells them nothing. Yep. So this is when the host of this podcast gets fucking pissed. Yay. She's been in. She interviews this Jeremy Roden guy. She has been doing face to face and recorded interviews with all these people. So she's involved at this point. She's invested mm-hmm. and she gets mad. She's just like, well, what the fuck? Like, or she doesn't say that, but. Like we need answers. Like, this is not okay. She writes to Barry and has this whole letter and he's now in Lubbock. And she just says, Hey, I'm this is who I am. This is the podcast I'm doing. Um, I know that you spoke to police about the you know, you said you had information about Cheryl. Did you kill Cheryl Springfield? If you didn't, then why? What was the information? What can you tell me? What's happening? And she also gave him time to comment on his previous crimes. Okay. okay. He writes her back. Oh, my God. I know. It's so good. This oh lady's a badass. Um, She said that his tone was very aggressive, very, you're accus- accusatory of like, well, why am I on a podcast? If, I mean, I feel like you're just going to frame me for this and like blah, 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 blah. Like he doesn't obviously understand what a podcast is and what she's trying to do. <laughs> yeah, he's been in jail for how, right? many long years. And I mean, she he even says, well, how can I trust that you're <laughs> you a real journalist for the Star-Telegram? Like you could just be working for the police. and. She's like, in my mind, I was listening to that thinking just like, what do you want her to do? Like email you her like or scan her like photo ID of her job? Like, what do you mean proof that you're a real journalist? (laughs) Like, okay, what does that even matter at the end of the day? He was uh, claiming that, I don't know, the, the reason why that he wasn't giving up the information about Cheryl that he had originally said that he had was that yet again, the police were acting very threatening and bullying him. Sounds so familiar. Um, and that he just kind of backed down and didn't want to go through with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just eventually in the letter had no comment on Cheryl. Um, he but he insists that he didn't do it um, in Melva's case. He doesn't talk about Cheryl's case. In Melva's case, he says, I, I didn't do it. The the te- case he was convicted. For. Right. Exactly. Where every evidence of any kind was provided. Um, the tests were unreliable, that the company that tested everything uh, lied on, in their testimony, um, that all this shit, like the def- he had lack of defense, like all this stuff, like he just throws everything that he also does in his appeals. It's just bullshit. Yeah. Essentially. Um, this is also the first case upheld by Texas appeals courts referring to DNA testing denial claims. Okay. So another kind of history groundbreaking sort of thing for criminal justice. Mm-hmm. First one to do a DNA test and first one to be upheld in Texas appellate courts. Yeah. Which is cool as shit, I think, in my mind. Um, Anyway, just because, like, those are random facts that, like, what was the first one that actually ever made that a thing? Yeah. You know? I don't know. Um, Barry's content in prison. He said he's fine. He's not complaining about it. Obviously, he's denying whatever, but he's not really fighting it at the same time. Um, the one thing he does admit to when he's able to comment on his past history is that he does admit to kidnapping Cindy. Instead, he gives a different version saying that Cindy was, you know, bullying him. No, that she was totally fine. She's like, oh, hey, how's it going? Haven't seen you in a minute. What's going on? Um, that she was totally fine with getting in the car that he didn't kidnap her. Um, that she went willingly, and they decided to go buy beer. It was called the Beer Barn or something like that. And they went and got a few beers, went out to the woods to kind of just have a relaxing night, have an adult talk about their relationship, and see what was actually happening. And that's when they amicably decided to get a divorce and like end things, right? Supposedly, right, right,
0: right. because you're a very reasonable man. We've seen that in your right.
1: <clears throat> and then I guess he said that on the way back to town. That's when they kind of started arguing, and um. He pulled over, saw two cops, dropped her off, and thought they'll take her home. I can't be around this woman; she's crazy. She's being, you know, ridiculous. And that's when they, whatever, tell the cops what happened, and he, they say he searched his car, and he was fine with it. He's lying.
0: Yeah, it, he's it, he's like our it, fucking like, president, just well, spinning like a story also, out of his ass to make his himself.
1: But it's like look go better. interview the cops that actually we're there get yeah, their like, statement buddy, it's probably you know not the we same can thing prove that right. you're lying
0: we know you're lying yeah. right and he's like no 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 i'm the only one who has right. the truth here yeah
1: he that's what he writes in that letter to um deanna the host of the podcast she said that she's since received a christmas card from him wishing her a happy new year all that crap this was last year wow. when this came out um he said that he cares about um the police and the justice system whatever finding who Melva's killer really was because he knew her and that um, he cared about her, but he doesn't care about Cheryl's case and like whoever did it because he never knew Cheryl. Um, And he also claims that if he would have killed anyone, he would have killed Cindy.
0: Wow. All right. Maybe not throw that bit in when you're trying to exclaim innocence. Yeah.
1: He was like, I did. I admit to the kidnapping. And if you can clearly tell if I hated anyone, it would have been her and I would have killed her, but I didn't. And I've been in, a million fights in prison and i have yet to kill anyone i have a great prison record but like I'm so bleh, yeah i love that um but yeah that's what he kind of um ends his statements on he was eligible for parole in 2003 he's been denied every time uh cindy writes to uh, the parole board requesting his stay in prison she believes that she tells in her letter that she believes that he killed Cheryl. Finally, she believes it and that he is a threat to her family and herself. Good for her. Uh-huh. I agree. Uh, Jan and her family truly believe that it was Barry. Um, they believe that uh, Barry came to Cindy's house, the one that she was sharing with all the girls, looking for her, drunk, whatever. It's the holidays. People get emotional. Whatever reason it is, um, shows up. It's fucking Cheryl with her two kids or her kid and niece. It's 2 a.m. And she's like, what the hell? And evidently, Cheryl was uh, not one to take any shit. Obviously, she has experience with Barry on the phone being obnoxious as fuck. And she wasn't having it and mm-hmm. let him have it on the porch like the neighbors probably saw. And that's when he, uh, you know, took control of the situation yep. in his own way. Yep. Um, Police do believe there actually could be many more victims um, besides Melva and Cheryl, most likely. Yeah, that's and a long, uh, seven years
0: it was, it's a long stretch. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't,
1: um, he seemed to kind of have a, a, Rage a setup of an M.O., you know what yep. I mean? What he liked, what he did. And uh, Jan keeps up with cold case detectives, everyone that keeps, you know, coming on to the scene and getting all the information passed down to them as they, uh, like I said before, are inherited the case or, or inherit the case. But yeah, that's um, she schools everybody on the information and tries to keep up with it all the time and wants justice for her sister, and it still remains unsolved. And it'll be 38 years in just uh, a week. Wow. That's the case of Cheryl Springfield. And um, what's sorry, his last name? Uh, Barry Kelly. Fuck you, Barry Kelly. Yeah. He did it. I, I had some... Questions and theories. Oh, yeah. I didn't even write my questions and theories, you guys. This would have been the ultimate case to do, like, a full fucking, like, laid out, cool, thought out thing. And I didn't do it. And I just talked for an hour and a half about bullshit.
0: I don't... I, I, I think it's very clear he did it. Yeah. I, I Like, my questions were um could it have been a drug dealer for one of the party girls that came and like needed some money? uh was the house burglarized why did the phone calls target Nancy specifically cuz she had been involved right, right, right. you know but very you know, fucking did it
1: very mm-hmm. did it i could i totally agree with those questions because it's a you know Whatever. Teenage kids are going to see stupid shit on the news, but they're going to make those phone calls and be annoying. So like, she was also a teenager, too. Nancy was only 16 at the time. Yeah. So she fits into the group of like dumb fuck teenage boys that are going to make dumb decisions at that time. I think that Barry had all the motive in the world. Oh, yeah. And without Melva's death, I don't even think that he would really be on the radar. Nope. Because there's no evidence. No one. It's not like no one knows about his his. Fuck, I mean, his North Richland Hills thing was basically dropped down to a fucking misdemeanor, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. Like, it was a slap on the wrist. So, no one knows about his criminal history. Right. You know, until this, until Melva fucking took one for the team, Cheryl still is not, doesn't have any justice to her name. But, I mean, without that, I don't know if this would ever, he would even be a suspect, like I just said. Anyway. Man, well, fuck you. Barry Kelly.
0: Kelly. You see that? That doesn't look like the word Kelly.
1: No, I'm, I couldn't read anything it's on ridiculous. my paper. Yeah. I just remembered podcast things.
0: Yeah, shit. That was nuts. Yeah.
1: Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well. I'm so sorry. That was so long. No, it was good. It was pretty good. It was good. I feel like it could have been better and structured, but it is what it is No, at this no. Point.
0: Welcome to my world. <laughs> I don't Do like it. Do you need it. a break or? I think
1: I might need to pee. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right, so, December 23rd. We're just fucking, we're going right in.
1: (laughs) Mine was a whole episode long.
0: (laughs) December 23rd, 1991, in Corsicana, Texas, and this is mid-morning that day. 23-year-old Cameron Willingham emerges from his five-bedroom home, which is engulfed in flames. He crouches down in the front lawn, monitoring the flames. Neighbors begged and pleaded with him to go back into the home, but Cameron said he couldn't. It was, quote, too hot. (laughs) Yeah. Inside the home, his children, two-year-old Amber, and one-year-old twins, Carmen and Cameron, are asleep in their beds. All three girls died of acute carbon Mm. monoxide poisoning as a result of smoke inhalation. No. Merry Christmas. When firefighters arrived on the scene... Willingham was pushing his car from the driveway. Neighbors said he'd been, quote, hollering about the car getting scorched. He was also upset that his dartboard was ruined. Corsicana <laughs> Fire Marshal James Palos, um, who at the time of the article that I was reading was Damn. Fire Marshal, but at the time of the fire was, oh, geez, Um, was Sorry. the fire department chief investigator said that there were, Jesus, all right, this angle's better, <laughs> said that there were 11 one-gallon jugs of gasoline involved, involved in the fire.
1: How could they tell that?
0: We'll go into okay. it.
1: I was like, what? And then we'll go
0: into it more.
1: Ooh. Mm-hmm. Sexual.
0: So Cameron Willingham claimed that he, okay, yeah, 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 sorry. All right, you want to get comfy real quick? Get comfy. Get comfy.
1: comfy. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Hello.
0: Hello. Thank you. You good?
1: Yeah, you're fine. Every time. I'm really sorry. No, usually. really busy right now, Usually he's more
0: laid down by now, but he's still kind of like, I'm half playing and I'm half relaxing.
1: He's going to get off in literally like five minutes. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, Cameron Willingham claimed that he and the children were asleep at the... uh, At the time the fire started, he said he tried to enter the girl's bedroom, but couldn't get past the flames. He suffered mild smoke inhalation. Mm -hmm. Cameron would be arrested and charged in the deaths on January 8th, 1992. So during his August 1992 trial, an expert witness testified that the floors, front threshold and front concrete porch were burned, which only happens when an accelerant is used concrete can burn right which would suggest that someone used maybe one of the 11 gasoline cans to pour gasoline light it and then the flame started there so it burned the longest is kind of what i got um The witnesses also said that, or the witness that they used also said that igniting floors and thresholds are typically used to impede firefighters from entering the establishment. Good one. So
1: they thought that these were very strategic placements for the flame to set ablaze. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't immediately think of, like, firefighter entrance. I would just still think of, like... Where do I drop this match on the floor so it couldn't go everywhere? Right. That, that's what I would think. Right. But still, either or. Yeah. That it looks suspicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not like a curtain caught on fire or, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, why did it start, start here? here? Again? Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> At the front door. <laughs> so, firefighters and neighbors testified as well. Um, and this is obviously, I'm sorry, I kind of jumped a little. No, I did. I did say uh, during his August 1992 trial. So, he was arrested on January 8th. Um, you know, eight some odd months later, he, nope. Yeah, yeah, 1982. So firefighters and neighbors testified as well at this trial. One neighbor said that the following day, Christmas Eve, Willingham and his wife, Stacy, were picking through the debris, playing music, and laughing. One day after their three children died in a fire, Um, testimony said that Willingham, who pled not guilty, showed no remorse or emotion over the deaths of Amber, Cameron, and Carmen. And we'll talk about it a little bit more. You never know how someone's going to react when a traumatic event has occurred, but they are observing this from when neighbors saw him outside of the home as it burned. And the firefighters who were immediately on the scene as presumably his children burned up in the fire. So just kind of keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, So a psych. Nope. I'm going to skip that. So (laughs) Willingham, who used life insurance proceeds to purchase a brand new truck. Remember, these children die on December 23rd. Eight days later. It's January 1st, another eight days after that. So 16 days before he's arrested between the fire and that, and he's already bought a new truck with the insurance money. Just remember that.
1: Okay, Scott Peterson.
0: Right. (laughs) Um, He argued that his ex-wife's boyfriend likely started the fire. Um, His wife at the time... Uh, so, a new wife. Stacy. Stacy. Okay. She was not home at the time of the blaze. She was out shopping. This is
1: mid-morning around Convenient. 1130. Convenient. Hmm. Um, but I also think, you know, let me leave the kids home with the dad. Let me just do my shit and yep. I'll come home. So, yep. I see
0: it. Okay. I, I can see it, too. Um, she stood by his innocence. But in August of 1992, a jury found him. And we're kind of, just to preface, we are skipping, not skipping through, but this is very quick. Um, to get to questions and theories, the depth of all this happens. is questions yeah. and theories. Yeah, so bear with me, guys. We're not just gonna blaze through everything because not blaze. Oh, took boys. <laughs> Ooh, la, yeah. la, la, la. hey,
1: I just, realized just, you got upset at me for taking. No, for her. I'm kidding. I was <laughs> kidding. That's <laughs> me,
0: a joke. Kidding. So yep, fine. Um, a jury would find him guilty of capital murder for the deaths of the three baby girls, Amber, Cameron, and Carmen. Um, During the punishment phase of the trial, some facts about his past were presented. Uh So he had been convicted of burglary three months before the fire and was serving six years probation. He had a history of criminal activity dating back to his juvenile years. Um, This included grand larceny, burglary, of course, and car theft. Uh, He had actually spent one year at a boot camp, but Uh... prosecution pointed out that previous attempts like the boot camp at rehabilitation had failed so they were kind of leading into their argument that this was a
1: irreparably instead of a boot camp let's just give him six years of probation right like that what that's a thing yeah i'm sorry yeah that's not you already had a previous burglary attempt. Just put you in have jail. no hope of rehabilitation and other crimes. Yeah, exactly. Put him in fucking prison. Yeah, let him let what him stay this, out. The, but what's like, the deal. He gets to go see a. Uh, what was the loophole? Fucking probation That's officer every couple months. That's yeah, so weird. is it just to make more money for the government because you're paying? I don't know, is this I like, don't know man. The six yeah. year. I've never heard of a six year probation unless it was like post. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't know. Post spending or giving or have. Spending time? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Whatever. Yeah. That's ridiculous. It's, Sorry. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, so during this punishment phase, a psychologist testified that Willingham exhibited traits of a sociopath that seemed to worsen as he got older, and he recommended that this man would never find rehabilitation and, if released, would kill again. And in Texas, mm. at the time, you needed a psychologist, you needed some affirmation from an expert that this offender would kill again if he was being charged. Yeah, so that would be a
1: recommendation that's towards the death penalty. Is that still a thing now, I wonder? It's not still a thing okay. now. And we'll talk about okay, sorry. some praise reason, some reasons why. That's, uh, no, that's kind of okay. good info. hmm Didn't know that. Cool.
0: So he also, Willingham, had a history of violence. Um, he mm. actually, in one instance, beat his pregnant ex-wife with a phone to induce a miscarriage. <gasps> Um, he was also reportedly verbally and physically abusive of his family, and he once bragged about brutally killing a dog to a friend of his um, who ended up being a character witness for a prosecution or at least gave a statement to the prosecution. I couldn't figure out quite which. Um, Willingham was, during this trial, offered life in exchange for a guilty plea,
1: but he refused. Again, he. Let me take. Oh, a I didn't do sip it. I'm Rigo. not gonna admit to something I didn't do. Take a right. plea to something I didn't do. Yeah.
0: So he refused. Okay. He maintained his innocence, and he was given the death sentence. Oh whoa. Oh yeah. In August of 1990, I wrote down 93, and that I read that right. in a couple of articles, but because I mean it's a year. Ish. A year, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think the punishment phase would take that long. It can't. It's it, usually a
1: couple it, weeks to months, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it just depends on the circumstances.
0: Right. So, 92 or 93, but, you know, difference of a year. Um, and then the conviction was affirmed by the criminal, Texas Criminal Court of Appeals in October of 1995. Um, Willingham, who maintained his innocence even in jail had all of his appeals struck down, writs of habeas corpus, um, an and attempted at a new trial, stuff like that, all struck down.
1: Are you going to go into, like, evidence that he produced for his appeals? Okay, good. I was oh, like, what yeah. the fuck? Why did they get struck down? <laughs>
0: cool. So Stacy and he divorced after his conviction and she actually flipped on him. And after he was convicted, oh. kind of was like, you know what? Yeah, I do think he killed my babies. I do think this was all him. Um... Like I said, his request for a new trial was denied, and a last-minute clemency request was unanimously denied as well. Um, And there was something about it was struck down by Greg Abbott, but it was voted 15-0, to 0, so I don't
1: think Greg Abbott—Governor Greg— Yeah, or, at the time. Was it Greg Abbott? I mean, we've mentioned it before. Yeah, because we mentioned it for something else.
0: Yeah, I don't think it was Rick Perry then. I'm pretty I wrote f- down Greg Abbott and I read Greg
1: Abbott. What case did we cover? God damn it. Interesting. That's fine. So, um. <laughs> okay, sidebar really quick. I was listening to something today and it was like, essentially podcasts are just like repeats of stories that you tell all the time. Yeah. And that's literally it because yeah. it's just like, what did we say on that thing that we already talked about probably 18 times before? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Greg Abbott. Good. That's I'm cool. glad we're not the only ones. No, no, no.
0: <laughs> so, um. In an in-prison interview, Cameron had this to say. This is where it's going to get weird. Okay. okay did
1: you- so
0: he was 36 at the time of this interview, um, and he insisted that he was not responsible for his daughter's deaths. Quote, I was the only person at home, and that was their way of thinking, he said of the charges against him. What? The resulting trial, trial was, quote, a joke. And he said, quote, "Any man who can look at me in the eye and say that the justice system is not a farce is a liar. All they're going to do is kill, kill an innocent man for something he didn't do. The most distressing thing is the state of Texas will kill an innocent man and doesn't care that they're making a mistake." Um, Willingham then suggested that a lantern lamp dumped fluid when a shelf collapsed inside the house and caught fire, or his oldest daughter Two-year-old oh, Amber. Old,
1: old daughter.
0: Uh-huh. Who was, quote, fascinated with everything, accidentally set off the blaze. Mm, okay. Either that, quote, either that, or someone came in with the intent to kill me and the children, he said from prison. Quote, the arson investigator was a liar. This guy
1: sounds a real narcissist to me. I, th- fuck off. I wrote that down. Did you? I literally wrote, narcissist doesn't want to die. Doesn't want any blame. He's too full of himself. That kind of thing. Yep. That's kind of funny.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, <coughs> then a month or so before sorry. his 2004 execution, bless you. Thank you so much. Um, he said, "Quote: I died 12 years ago at 11:51 a.m. December 23rd, 1991." No, that's shut up. That's when I died.
1: Fuck off. Uh-huh. Ew, that's disgusting. Um, sorry.
0: Ooh, and that's a different color. I'm doing this like color coding thing on my laptop and sometimes I fuck it up and time consuming. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 weird. Um so Cameron Todd Willingham was executed by lethal injection on February seventeenth, two thousand four. He was thirty six years old. His final meal was Okay. Yeah, we get one. (laughs) Merry Christmas to us. Um his final meal was three barbecue pork ribs. Just three? I think it would be racks of ribs, but... That's a lot. The thing said three, so... Okay, whatever. Yeah. Two orders of onion rings, fried okra, three beef enchiladas with cheese, and two slices of lemon cream pie. All
1: right.
0: His final statement is as follows. Yeah. (laughs) The only statement I want to make is that I'm an innocent man convicted of a crime I did not commit. I have been persecuted for 12 years for something I did not do. From God's dust I came, and to dust I will return. So the earth shall become my throne. I gotta go, road dog. I love you, Gabby. He then turned to his ex-wife, Stacy Kirkendall, and said, quote, I hope you rotten hell, bitch, several times. While also extending to uh, or attempting to extend his middle finger, but he couldn't do that because he was restrained. Um, Stacy did not show any reaction to this. So again, I will point out says nothing about Amber,
1: right. Cameron or Carmen. It sounded like really bad, like song lyrics. Mm hmm in the dust, I shall return. In the I'm dust. Like, love <laughs> like what?
0: emo fucking I think motherfucker. I you just, like,
1: Googled a Godsmack song or something.
0: Probably. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. Especially with the uh, rotten hell bitch. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so, again, a little bit narcissistic to me. A so, that's the end of story, right? He was convicted. He was tried, convicted, executed.
1: Nope. We got more.
0: Not so fast. More to come. Cool. Questions post-execution were raised about the accuracy of forensic evidence used in his conviction. Against or for? Against his conviction. Oh. The Innocence Project actually has a page on his case. And we know the Innocence Project. I very much respect the Innocence Project. Of course... They're not perfect. We're not perfect in this case.
1: Wait, what? We're not perfect?
0: Well, we (laughs) mostly are, unless an Amy's involved. Mm. Amy! Um... I don't know. I love them for the work that they do, but there might be certain cases where we're kind of like, I don't know, guys, and this could be one of them. They do bring up valid points, which I will
1: relate to you now. I don't think they take cases, though, that like don't have definitive shit to back up those claims. Absolutely. Evidence or I don't think it's just like, oh, hey, I'm your cousin and I don't think you did it. Please go support him. Like that's not how, you know, they they do things. So So this will be interesting to hear.
0: So according to the Innocence Project, nine, quote, nationally renowned independent experts reviewed the case and said that the forensics were wrong. Craig Byler, um, everything I'm about to read until I tell you otherwise is from the Innocence Project. I don't want to get sued, whatever. So <sighs> Craig Byler, hired by the Forensic Science Commission, said one of the analysts, said of one of the analysts, quote, None of these determinations have any basis in modern fire science. And of the second analysis findings, quote, There is no basis for this notion in modern fire science. Quote, "Um, he found that the investigators did not comport with the standard of care for fire investigation at the time, and that, quote, a finding of arson could not be sustained. So in a report filed with the Forensic Science Commission in 2006, five leading experts said, quote, each and every one of the indicators relied on to determine that the fire was arson have since been scientifically proved to be invalid. Gerald Hurst, whose report was sent to the governor before Willingham's execution, has said, quote, there's nothing to suggest any reasonable arson investigator, uh, to suggest to, to any reasonable arson investigator, that this was an arson fire. Dot dot dot. It was just a fire. So that doesn't look super great for the you know
1: the means. As
0: to which he would that makes no sense. It doesn't look really great for how he was convicted. Yes.
1: I don't they didn't explain anything in that. I'm sorry. Like, what are you talking about? What does this not hold up to the scientific standard? Like, what are they referencing? Was what wasn't burned? What was burned? Was there an incendiary device? They don't bring up shit. They just say a lot of big words. Am I I, am I missing something? Well, I think I am. I think I could have
0: researched a little bit more into No, but that was
1: still their fucking statement. You know what I mean? So like overall, basically um, what they're saying. Uh-huh.
0: Is it's completely unfounded for them to say, yeah, the fire started here, here, and here. They were going off of old <laughs> science. Um, they were going off of stuff that before he was executed could have been disproven because how- of. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no.
1: Just because of advancements. But I think that, like, okay, take like blood splatter analysis. Right. Mm-hmm. It looks like a stab wound. It looks like blood on the wall in the nineties. Maybe, sure, whatever. Now we have all the trajectory and the, you know, placement and what weapon and what height you're at, blah, blah, blah. A fire starts somewhere. That's where it starts. Right. I don't know much about arson, but I feel like that's straightforward the scenario that's why a lot of arsons are like kind of easy to solve
0: yeah I, or
1: I, or fires i think
0: a part of it was my wrong I'm, I'm probably well wrong. no and we don't know much about it no this, I, this is, is the one first, of the
1: first ones mm-hmm. i think we've ever had so this yeah. is interesting yeah
0: so this might be cool to research a little bit further into
1: i just feel like their statement their response was kind of a cop-out like it didn't really answer much for me but I can, that yeah, doesn't I can mean that. anything
0: though <laughs> i can see that um and i think partially what they maybe are looking at is you know a now disproven whatever yeah. is the accelerants <sighs> okay. that they thought were used like the
1: number but also 11 casually is has specific. 11 I don't know right but it is nine forensic experts that all said that this is wrong yeah so that's that's a good amount right that they were paid off I'm just kidding
0: <laughs> so also another thing um Y'all remember that psychologist that testified that he would, quote, kill again mm-hmm. um, and said that Cameron Willingham was a sociopath?
1: Oh, let's guess. Does he recant and it's all fine and dandy?
0: Oh, no. He's just, like, problematic as fuck. Um, oh, Where do I write?
1: Problematic as fuck.
0: <laughs> oh, no. Okay. I thought this was one of my computer things, but it's written on the next page. So... And I think we've talked about this guy before, in at least one other case. Oh no, psychologist James Grigson. I don't know. That doesn't. Was mean. expelled from the American Psychiatrist Association oh. in 1995. 100 out of the 167 death penalty cases he testified in. Um, yeah, he said in 100 out of 167 that he, the defendant, would kill again.
1: Okay, we talked about Doctor Death. Is that the same guy? Remember, he would testify. He would get paid to testify that these people were whatever, he so they would be. get the death penalty. Was that his name? We might need that to was look in, that up. Uh, the lady that got killed. She was like seventy-five years old, the neo-Nazi lady that with the dude that had the weird epilep or the insomnia na- narcolepsy thing that killed her. It's fine. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> You are a vault. I remember <laughs> nothing. Except her name. I keep wanting to say Ingrid, but it's not Ingrid. Uh, we'll we'll figure it yeah, out. It's cool.
0: But yeah, so I, I said that kind of weird. Most of the cases He was wrong in. And he said that they would definitively kill again.
1: Oh also But how can you tell that? Yeah, because he had never met Cameron. He just read his case file? He just read his case so file. So it was just a scientific perspective. Hold on. How do you I'm going to go back to the 100 and out of the 166 or whatever. How do you prove that if like, you know what I mean? Like, how do you, that's all, that is all professional opinion. Well,
0: yeah, his professional opinion for a vast majority of the cases that he
1: reviewed. That were let out and paroled. No, 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 not paroled.
0: No, 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 just. He okay. was brought oh, in as okay. the expert witness.
1: I see what you're saying. On he just kind of said prosecution. that all the time. Yeah, and he was oh, like, okay. yeah,
0: they'd kill again. Well, I mean, he might not be wrong. <laughs> he might not be, but he did lose his license. Over so, what again? Uh, that. But how? Over what? his unfounded claims. They, they eventually started looking at his history and saying, wait, wait, you didn't interview this guy? You didn't interview this guy? Oh, okay. Or like. Okay. Wait, this guy might have been exonerated, you know, okay, like, I could
1: see how they yeah. could just be like, well, you didn't do your job. So we're not taking what you said as truth. So here's but a new trial for you, buddy. Okay. If
0: prosecution really wants to nail a specific person, then, that's the guy yeah. they bring in to testify against him.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. There's so much per, like all this misconduct within this episode is insane. Yeah, I know. It's okay. a lot. This is a heavy one. Mary. Yeah. Christmas. No, I like it. Let's yeah. end the year on a good one. Oh,
0: yeah. So um, <coughs> the Innocence Project also said, basically what they did was they listed myths about his face and then facts. And they gave three or four bullet points. Granted, they did not link to any sources. But, you know, we like them. We trust them. We're not saying this is set in stone, whatever. So they also said that science at the time was accurate enough to basically not fuck shit up so completely. So it was kind of leaning towards negligence. Um, and On then the part of the, the analysis? The police, the oh, investigation, the, okay, the okay, prosecution. Okay. The whole thing. The whole thing, negligent. And uh. there was no other evidence against him, just the now defunct forensic methods. So, William... I mean, he never changed his statement. Um, he never wavered Willingham. once on his. Uh, did I say? Oh my God, you're right. I just wrote William. <laughs> Cameron. Oh my, oh my God, girl. I you. <laughs> Oh geez. Oh man. So yeah, Willingham never once changed his statement. He never wavered on his innocence. Um, that fucks me up because it's like, God damn it. I know. And the car. Remember. When firefighters arrived uh-huh. on the scene, they observed him pushing his car out of the driveway. He claimed um, later, I'm, I could not find exactly when he claimed this, but he claimed, contrary to what neighbors said, that he was hollering about his car getting fucked uh-huh. up, he claimed that the gasoline maybe would ignite another fire. I and mean- it was reported that he moved the car after a blast happen out okay. of the windows, you know? So he thought, I don't want to make this fire worse. You okay. know, it's very suspicious
1: it. still, but you can see it. I could even see him saying, I'm moving my car to let, like, the fire trucks over. You right. know what I mean? I would have even taken that. Right. But so, that kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah, because that was, that stood out in my mind for a while until I read this Innocence Project shit. And then I was like, oh, wait, what's this other quote There's from always him? another shit. side. Yeah.
1: Oh, bless.
0: So... His ex-wife, Stacy is also kind of questionable. Um, she
1: flip-flopped on Did she his... flip-flop on flip-flopping? She did, <laughs> actually. Sorry, she... that was Vanderpump Rules episode. Yeah. Today. <laughs> Sorry.
0: Oh, <Never mind>. uh, actually <laughs> she <was> Fucking Sheena. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Did she flip-flop flip Oh, my God. So um, <laughs> she said that she went and uh, talked to him in prison and that he confessed to her.
1: Oh. When was this supposed, like, when did she say this happened? Uh, just before his execution, like a couple months that before. That he confessed. That he confessed. Okay, so it wasn't, like, right away. Yeah. Okay.
0: But then she kind of flip-flopped in 2004 and 2009, changed, like, no, he didn't tell me that. No, yes, he did, you know? Um, her statements have contradicted themselves in kind of minor ways, but when you look at Cameron, who has not wavered, and then her story has changed a few times, even in a minor fashion. Like, well, we were fighting the night before. Well, no, we weren't fighting the night before. Like, he never hit me, or he did hit me, but he never hurt the children. But he was abusive. You know what I mean? But it's she's just...
1: also thinking back how many years ago?
0: Right. That's that's true. 12 years. But
1: still. Yeah. It's... You would think that that would be a memorable moment in your life. Yeah.
0: Um. In 2012 so this is
1: now what? It happened in 92.
0: Well, yeah, well he was executed in 2004. Oh, four. So 6 plus 2 is 8. So 8 years after he is executed, um, Willingham's stepmother and cousin were petitioning the Texas Board of Paroles and Convictions or whatever. I didn't write down the whole thing. Um, they were petitioning them to have his conviction erased. A pardon. Um, Stacy didn't allow this to happen. So basically what I gathered is post-mortem, you know, your legacy is what you leave behind, what you leave the world with. And they did not think, especially with the Innocence Project, especially with all the stuff coming out about the forensics, they did not think that he was guilty and did not want his legacy to be as such. There's so, no legacy.
1: The kids are fucking dead. Right. I mean, if you want to get, I get it, but like, no Stacy had to
0: say quote Todd is guilty the criminal justice system and the courts confirmed his guilt and he should not be pardoned for his crimes um quote my girls have would have been 23 and 21 years old today I miss them so much oh I don't know why there was a quote in between that this is all one sentence I read that Todd's stepmom and cousin are asking the governor for a pardon I don't blame Todd's stepmom for fighting for her son. Mothers love their children and always will, no matter what happens in their lives. Eugenia loved Todd, and I understand why she does not want to face the facts of what he did to our girls. So, we got a lot more to talk about in questions and theories, but before we move on to that, I just want to, we don't have much on the victim's. Mm-hmm. They were babies. They were so young. We have
1: Amber Louise Kirkendall. She oh, that's was my middle name. Sorry. Oh, Louise, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Great. Now everyone knows. Oh, you did it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to steal her thunder, too. No, it was I just, no. I you know, hey. Hey, so, Louise. Amber Louise Kirkendall,
0: born in 1989. She was two years old when she died. Cameron Marie Willingham, born December 18th, 1990. She was just one. Carmen Diane Willingham, born December 18th, 1990. She was also one. So questions and theories. Hmm. Oh, was this man a murderer? I mean, was he a young father that couldn't handle the pressure? Um, he worked as an auto mechanic. He was a 10th grade dropout.
1: He was 23, right?
0: Yeah, he was 23. The okay. Could he just not handle having three children? It was around Christmas time. It's stressful um
1: well uh, so he's not the father of amber not, no 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 so they met and immediately she got knocked up with twins okay yes so that's heavy in itself that's very heavy were they married I think you said like when did they get married? Like immediately. Newlyweds. Okay, so so. they obviously had the twins, and then they get married. So I mean, this is not off to a great start. No. In most men's mind, at least. Yeah. Okay. Just wanted some clarification. Already
0: isn't super like healthy or you know. Well, she's definitely all over the place,
1: hormonal with like pregnancy and like children. I don't know. That's a lot. It's a lot.
0: That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was he sociopath that just kind of wanted a new life he was like why the fuck am I doing this I'm done with this I don't want this anymore um was he a victim of the system I think he should have gotten a new trial he did petition for a new trial when new new resources were available and I think it would have been fair to give him a new trial
1: there's enough evidence saying that he should yeah that points in another direction so I mean maybe what uh, he would keep going i'll ask my questions in a minute i'm sorry okay
0: (laughs) um i think stacy is suspicious as fuck yes um or is she i don't know i mean is he really (laughs) innocent like with his statement to her before he was
1: executed is there proof of that though is there a recording is there a there were reporters present of him saying that to her. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's not just her going to the cop saying, Oh my God, he confessed.
0: Right. Okay. Oh no, no, no. Not the confession of Oh, I'm sorry. Um what just saying, I hope you rotten hell this. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I meant the yeah, the confession part.
0: Okay, no, no.
1: Okay. No. So that's
0: that, that's, that's that is the not thing. provable that's at all. A, yeah. Exactly. Um, when he was berating her as he was being executed, was that the last fucking angry cries of an innocent man who was fucked over by his ex-wife who hung him out to dry or was he just mm. angry that she flipped on him even if he did it and, right. and you know it was maybe their plan and she flipped and said you know and i actually think he did it because <sighs> he was maybe coming down on her um was anyone else
1: investigated Right. That's like other my main suspects. question.
0: Yeah. Were there any other suspects? It was, was Amber. I'm just
1: kidding. I mean, could, well, Amber was the baby. I know. it was. That was oh, one of the things that he put forward right. that she knocked over a stupid thing or whatever. Yeah. I just
0: immediately like took that out as like fucking plausible. So I was like, no, she was the baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, but yeah. Um, And then how... Many neighbors testified and corroborated him crouching down in the lawn, him refusing to go back in, him moving the car, him whining about the dartboard, um, him, he and Stacy digging through debris and laughing and yeah, what was you know, their neighborhood the like?
1: I mean, Corsicana is a little rural, so right. like, what kind of? You got a couple neighbors. Do you have like a whole mm-hmm. block? Like, was it one who shit meeting neighbor? How educated are they? Educated who are they? Hated What's them? happening? Yeah, exactly.
0: That did they have a good relationship?
1: Did they not? That's a good not. factor yeah. to kind
0: of consider. Tying. Um, his maintaining of innocence. I tried to do mm-hmm. some research and I found nothing. Would a sociopath do that because they're just so if, if they were guilty, exactly? And well, I, I don't know.
1: I feel like. Even the stuff with Barry, my guy, being Mm -hmm. arrogant in denial, same – you could turn that into the same thing. Yeah. Just because he's not admitting guilt doesn't mean he's sitting there, you know, woe is me. Of course I love my daughters. He's never said that. Right. He could be sitting there saying, fuck you guys. I didn't do shit. Yeah. And the tone is totally different. Yeah. He could have antisocial personality disorder where he says, fuck the system. Fuck all you people. I don't want to be a dad. I hate everyone. I'm just going along with this and he loses his shit one day. Yeah. You know? I mean – I, I,
0: I think he's very obviously a piece of shit. He himself um, didn't have a
1: great history to begin with. Yeah,
0: he was quoted saying that he wasn't a good husband. He was. But a we just said we can't judge husband. people
1: from their past and like their. We other did. Stuff. But this is one of those things where it could be helpful. Yeah, he got burgl- burglary. He had theft. He had some. What I wrote down the other crap, but I can't see it from here. But like, it's just that's that's a pattern. Yeah. That's an escalation. That's a thing. It's not out of the ordinary. That
0: he. Kids didn't fit in with his lifestyle anymore. Yeah, and of course I think they didn't. That does fit this like chain of. I think Stacy had a little bit more to do with it, maybe.
1: What did she look like? Do you find a picture of her?
0: Um, back then she looked like every '90s mom who had just had a baby. You know, a little chub. She had oh. the like. She had the feathered out hair. The picture I find is of them with the whole family, and she's smiling, and he's kind of like.
1: Bleh. See, I was thinking, he's 23. He meets a single mom, but she's hot. Mm -hmm. Everything's going fine. I can put up with a two-year-old, whatever. But then she gets pregnant and with twins. Yeah. And it's not worth staying with this hot mom anymore. So I'll just get rid of everyone or the kids, the problem. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I can have my life with my hot girlfriend. Yeah. But I'm just saying. That's why I wanted to know what she looked like because that would be interesting.
0: She's not bad looking. I mean, she's definitely when she's, you know, ten or so twelve years later when she's interviewed yeah. right before his death, she's like bleach blonde, tanned, skinny, you know, she looked like she smoked cigarettes. You know, that mm-hmm. look. That that southern lookish thing.
1: Um she bounced back.
0: A little bit. I don't know, man. The whole fucking like shtick thrown in where it's like, oh by the way, the forensics we used, it's not accurate anymore.
1: Like that I fucks me up a little bit. Know what? What forensics? What right. were the tests? What was the protocol? what was the were the steps, yeah, to determine why and how and that this is definitive? Yeah. And what was the difference in that time frame? Exactly of whatever 13, was it 10, twelve years They
0: did say that they had the technology available to them to be more accurate. So was it just negligence? for okay. the
1: purpose of like getting a guy that's or what they were trying to prove was right. that the whole thing was negligent yeah and that okay that goes with your theory of like did they talk to any other neighbors did they actually narrow down suspects negligent 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 because it's small town Corsicana maybe it was maybe it, in the 90s it was mm-hmm. so people are just like yeah this guy did it he has a history and the forensics weren't you know super great and yeah. we didn't know what to test I could see the Innocence Project side. Does that make sense? I feel like I just rambled a bunch of shit. No,
0: no, no. Because uh, you can totally play devil's advocate and think he being crouched down in his... Because he said in a statement, I couldn't find an exact quote or time frame, so I didn't add it in, Mm -hmm. but that he awoke to Amber crying. Amber was outside of her room and he yelled at her. You know, he saw that there was smoke and fire and he yelled at her to... Go outside. Mm-hmm. and She obviously didn't. Cause she's a baby. If that was even true, but then he tried to get into the twins' room and he couldn't because it was blocked by flames. So, Were
1: those strategically placed? Like, right? Extra I want or to know, you know the
0: layout of the house. I want to know. It. I th- honestly, I think it's kind of like Adnan Syed's case where, yeah, you probably think he did it, but he deserves a more fair trial. This man kind of deserved a more fair trial. I. I don't know. I I think it was bad timing on, you know, the whole forensic advancements part that if it had maybe advanced a little bit quicker, like two years beforehand, he might have gotten a stay and he might have gotten a new trial. But we'll just never know. No.
1: I have questions and theories. Please first of all, this is me being annoying. Cameron and Stacey Willingham, that sounds like so. Texas soap opera. Yeah. Beyond. Yep. Also, like we talked about before we even started recording, five bedroom home, 23 year old. Are you dealing drugs? What's happening? Why?
0: How is that? Right. Like, I don't know how big the home was, but a five bedroom home, no matter how small you make it, is Mm -hmm. still bigger than... Fucking the home my parents yeah. just moved out of. And when did know? they
1: move in? When did they move into it? What? What was, was it? She a family pregnant home? already? Right. Do they already have the kids because I can see it. Getting a big house. You have three small children. If you want to extend your family, whatever.
0: Maybe he made a lot of money as a mechanic. You Perhaps, can.
1: but that information would be nice, so exactly. we wouldn't speculate so hard. I don't know what she did for a living. I'm sure she you've got three kids. You're probably stay at home mom. Yeah, that's sure. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, this. Is all too similar to Darlie Routier, the Mm. mom in, like, what was it, Rowlett, Rockwall, whatever it was, Mm -hmm. that was uh, charged and convicted, with I'm pretty sure, with the death penalty for killing her two children. Yeah. And there's evidence to prove otherwise. She was a hot, bimbo, blonde mom. And, like, this was in, I think hers was in 1996. Like, it's all around the same time where, like, forensics and all those testing things, like... Their Her reaction to their death was, right. you know, inappropriate for the time. It yeah. wasn't what mothers would do. Like you said, they were celebrating whatever Cameron and Stacey were doing, like, the day or two after. What were they doing again? Picking through the debris to find their shit. Yeah. And they had
0: music playing and they were laughing. Yes,
1: exactly. But and what? Darley's at a fucking cemetery spraying silly string on their graves. Like, it's right. not the normal whatever. But a lot but of people support Darley. But to say normal? Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. But yeah, the whole narcissistic thing, all the forensic stuff. There's just too many things that go back and forth for me that I uh, I love mm. because it's so much fun to think about. But it's disturbing because it's like, who hates three young little girls that Your much? Babies. I would personally see it from the mom more than the dad. Yes. Even it takes for you to be in that moment, obviously, but I can 100% assuredly say. Like you said, if my house is on fire, if your apartment's on fire, obviously you're going to do your best to go in, rescue whatever is important to you inside. And then if you can't get in, you immediately call 911. You go in action. You don't yeah. just fucking. I would never just sit on my fucking lawn and nope. do shit.
0: That's It's your fight or flight right. mechanism. And you're not I stupid. Think your Fight or flight means that you either fucking fight and step into action or you Flee? You flee the
1: scene, but you do maybe do something about it. Yeah, just like, like you the don't people just that run off and try to get help. Chill I don't know. there, and or then he, have yeah. a state
0: of mind to go, "Oh, my dartboard," and like,
1: "Yeah, that's ridiculous." Oh, my car. Maybe immaturity. Car. The value mm-hmm. that he puts on material items over his children yes. is very telling, which makes me think not sociopath, maybe narcissist. narcissist. This is a questionable case for sure. It is. Love it. Yep. Well. Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) Also, like, wouldn't you get Cameron and, and, and what is it? Cameron and. Shit. Carmen and Cameron. Amber, Cameron, and Carmen. Yes. And then there's another Cameron, the dad. Yes. Cameron and Carmen. That's, you Stacey, you're welcome.
0: Cameron and Carmen were spelled with K's by the by. Um, And luckily I did, I typed in their names, which sometimes I forget to do with the victims, as we learned last week with Lucky Ward. Like instead of, I did all my research.
1: We found stuff, or she found stuff later. Yeah, I found found stuff later
0: because I typed in each individual victim's name to try to get a, I, it was my fault. I assumed that since they were homeless or, you know, some of the less dead, I assume there wouldn't be much on them, so I didn't bother, and that's my bad. That's what happens when don't, I don't. do my research like four hours beforehand. So I'm gonna try to stop doing that
1: and do better. But you want me to keep that in because that was, oh, that
0: was sad. It's what, up to you. It I doesn't don't want you matter. to feel bad no i do feel bad okay. i do i do feel bad because i felt like it like what we want to do is honor the victims and for i sure. felt like i didn't honor them
1: but it happens yeah i'm sure we've done it before i'm sure oh i'm sure but um i just made fun of those dead girls for having a k that started you know what i mean like, <laughs> I don't know.
0: but we do luckily have we have a picture of amber holding cameron and carmen so and we have a picture of the whole family together you know one of those like fantastically 90s, 90s photos. photos yeah it. so it's really nice that even though we don't have information about them we have a picture
1: of them yeah in their short little lives so face to put with the name yeah well potentially <sighs> fuck you cameron soap yep. opera willingham potentially todd probably. cameron todd you guys this is todd. not made up oh guys okay this that's was it for good. the fucking year yeah this was real good lots of speculation always on theme well yeah so uh, thanks guys
0: thanks for listening episode 43
1: well uh new year's we'll figure it out and you yeah. know i don't know whatever. if we're gonna like
0: maybe we can like start a new season at episode 45 and like that's figure a out short some series one yeah
1: i do want to do another series Okay. We briefly touched on doing like a series on child sex crimes, pedophilia. But we yeah. you, you didn't really wanna go down that route, but I, I kinda wanna go down that route.
0: No, no, no. I'm down. We just need to like brainstorm PC
1: and like Yeah, we need to brainstorm G.
0: like what topics we're gonna hit on that like does rehabilitation yeah. work? Why does this perversion exist? Mm-hmm. You know, crimes that have to do with blah 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 blah. So we I think talk. it's definitely doable. Yeah. So maybe that's gonna come
1: we can do it as like the valentine's day th- series of like love in all forms even when it's wrong oh that's dark <laughs> i like it thank you yeah thank you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> all right cool yeah we'll be back uh at some point with more texas true crime yeah and, and if anyone's listening ha- happy, happy halloween, halloween! bye <laughs>